Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of A Journey Through Time and Stuff. My name is uh, Old Aaron Funky Fingers. That's what I'm going to call myself today, Old Aaron Funky Fingers, because before this podcast started, I was grooving on my bass, and I loved it. Um, well, so, you know, it's funny how the world kind of uh, spins people around, scatters them out, and then they rejoin back together in the most unforeseen ways. When I was a 16, 17-year-old kid and uh, living in Alaska, going to high school, uh, my, I knew my guest. He was a grade older than me. And I never thought that uh, 12, 13, 15 years later, we would, 16 years later, we would be sitting here having this conversation. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Dane Poppin to the show. All right. <laughs> What's up, man? Happy What's to up? be here. Thank you for joining me. You know, I have to say, I've I've had a lot of great beards on this podcast, and I think you uh -huh. are... You're definitely top th top three, top two overall beards on the show, man. So congratulations. I'll take that. I'll take that. I think, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I, uh, you know, I grew it myself, so I'm proud. <laughs> yeah, put a lot of thought into it. I hear you. Um, there will be a, a, a small consolidary prize in the mail. Uh, it takes eight to ten weeks, but you'll get it for best beard. So I can wait, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, though. I mean, I'll take whatever I can get at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how you been? <laughs> I'm good, man. Just uh, living life uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, just trying to escape the heat. It's gnarly right now. Is it? It's like, yeah, this week just hit like 90s and, you know, the humidity oh. and stuff. And I mean, you, you know, dude, like, I mean, yeah. being from Alaska, there's a certain temperature I've gotten used to and adapted to. And it is not 90 degrees. No. 80% humidity. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it's funny, man. You know, I I kind of hinted toward that at the beginning when growing up there. You know, like I I didn't think about anything. Like seventy degrees in Alaska is like an eighty-five degree day down here. You just get it feels like it. For you sure. know, I mean, there's something about the the angle of the sun, the way it, it hits the earth, or something makes those days hot up there, man. Yeah, it's no joke. I mean. Summers in Alaska are just about as peak as you can get. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like there's no weird bugs, there's no snakes, there's no humidity. It's like you can lie in the grass, you can jump in the water without having to worry about weird critters. And, Ticks, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess the word you got to deal with bears and and moose, but like that's kind of they're easy to spot, easier than little well, gnarly flesh-eating ticks sure man and and it's funny too uh i'm i'm more terrified of a tick than i am of a moose even even if i did see one i just know how to scare one away because we our yeah. whole childhoods we just scared moose away <laughs> like get behind the tree yeah you know that's that's the number one thing yeah this is what you're taught is a hobby on tree. if it's a bear you're kind of like I'm bears suck yeah that shit all like yeah play um, dead or try and run Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I get the humidity there has got to suck. That's one thing, you know, I, I've lived, you know, living de here in Portland. Uh, it gets it gets hot. You know, we see 90, 95, we have a couple hundred degree days last year. Um, but the humidity is yeah. like 35 percent. It's know? not bad at all, man. No. You know, I mean, um, I've had the luxury of, of being able to travel a lot with my job. And, yeah. you know, I've gotten to kind of 
get a little taste of every single state, you know, at every single point of the year and try to get a rough idea of what everyone's working with. And because of that, I've been able to kind of like do some research on where I've lived. And since moving from Alaska, you know, I've, I've, I've been in Boston, uh, Southern California, Portland, Denver, and now Nashville. Um, and, you know, I kind of choose those cities because when I go through, I have a great time or the weather's great, people's great, or the food's amazing or something like that, you know? Sure. So I've been able to kind of be real selective about where I end up. Um, but this is the first time I've lived in the South and really had to deal with the gnarly humidity. And it's like, I mean, I'm not wired for it. That's for damn yeah. sure. But, Did, you know, you stay, you stay inside. You survive. And And you just kind of have to deal with being a little sticky everywhere you go, huh? Yep. Yep. I mean, I, everyone kind of freaks out when I tell them about, you know, negative 20 degree weather in, in Alaska. <laughs> sure. up. But it's like the exact same as living in Arizona, but the opposite, you know, you just stay inside. Well, yeah. You have a heater and you stay inside. Or in Arizona, you have AC and you keep your ass inside, well, you know? It, it, it's funny you mentioned <laughs> that, man. It's funny you mentioned that. Well, you know, uh, we both made kind of big moves right out of high school. You moved to California right away, didn't you? Out of high school? Uh, I moved to Boston. Oh, right Boston first. Okay. Yeah, Boston. And then um, I was going to school there. And then about two years in, I got the opportunity to, to join, to audition for a band that lived in California. Static Lullaby. Yeah, um, I want to I talk about that. <laughs> I know. I, that's the one. That's the OG. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's It's insane. I got a good story. Well, I was actually, we can kind of go there right now. So when I moved out of high school, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona from Alaska. Like... Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it was exactly that opposite. I, I remember getting on a plane, my first Christmas, you go back home, you know, your first one in college and you go back home for Christmas and play that fun game, uh, at 19 or 18, mm -hmm. whatever. And, um, I remember yeah. getting back into Alaska, leaving right after new year's to go back to Arizona. And it was 20, uh, 20 below on the airplane in, in Anchorage leaving there going heading back there Perfect. and when i get there it was 90 degrees in january dude it's such a gnarly shock it's yeah. just like complete opposite for the exact same time of year dude i know i know I, yeah you i know. remember i remember being a, a a you know working one of the many jobs i had in arizona being a roofer and i joined it because it was good money and Oof. i was i started in the middle of the, the middle of the winters when i started and so i didn't really expect the heat to climb and i remember it being yeah you know, right about <laughs> right about the time I decided I was not going to be a roofer in Arizona anymore was uh, it was May and it was one hundred and twenty nine hundred and thirty degrees on the roof at like eleven yeah. at eleven in the morning, and I went, dude. I mean, <laughs> nope. There's a reason that that job pays well. Yeah, you know, and not really that's how they get you is they get you to sign up in the winter. Um, that's hilarious. So that's like. That's the one job, gnarly job that you that comes to mind when you think of working on the heat, like roofers. You know, yeah. dealing with tar and just heat and up there up high and yep. no shade whatsoever. No man, yeah, better man than I, dude. I couldn't do it. I I only did it for five months, and that was like yeah. basically winter to May, and then I went, nope, nope, I can't, I couldn't do it either. There were some. Yeah. I, I worked no, with some hardcore. No dudes shame in it. Um, speaking yeah. of, speaking of, speaking of living in the South now, um, what, uh, we, right before we started, you were talking, uh, oh, cheers, by the way, let me, let me give you a, oh, yeah. a cheers for the beer. Cheers. Clink. Yes. What, uh, what are you drinking? This is a brewery out of Nashville. They're called Tennessee Brewworks. 
Cool. And this is a hippies and cow- hippies and cowboys IPA. Hippies and cowboys, um, nice. Hippies and cowboys. It's pretty new. It's a six percent, six point something. Um, it's great, man. Tennessee Brewers is probably our favorite brewery out of Nashville. Um, but that's hard to choose because there's so many now. It's like, isn't it awesome? Uh, yeah, it's really incredible. One good thing. One, I mean, one of the many perks of living in a city like Nashville or Portland. Yeah, you know. Um, they're like on the forefront of culinary and drink and entertainment. And so just like every week there's like a new brewery opening, you know, or a new restaurant or you know, a new venue or something cool. And entertaining yeah. To yeah. Do, but or just a new flavor all, of beer coming out. hundred percent. Yeah. They, I mean, all these breweries we within like a 20 mile radius, there's, you know, at least five or 10 breweries, if not more, you know, like full on breweries doing like yeah. a whole line of beer. And they'll do like the, the one-off, you know, week-only select small cask brews. And they're just, it's amazing what they're doing now. It's kind of like, um, it's almost similar to like marijuana in a way that sure. like, you know, it's like now that it's becoming legal everywhere, everyone is dedicating so much time into like cross-training and figuring out new ways to, well, there's, to, to you, use it. And Yeah, I uh, actually, my... Uh, I work next to uh, a grow facility, you know, and right. and dispensary here, and um, I know the guys who own it, and their biggest thing is now they have the time without worrying to be able to yeah. cultivate it. You know, like imagine if imagine if baking cakes and and cultivating new flavors and textures of dough was illegal, but your right. business was making cakes. You're a baker, like progress on cake flavor wouldn't really expand uh 100%. you know well i mean you know there's always like that air of risk you know that you have to deal with if it's something that's illegal or yep. or not even risk but you know if something that there's not a lot of money in it or whatever you know you're yes. not going to get top scientists or top brewers to focus all their energy on something that's really like that, that's some sort of risk whether it's financial or you know, any other, um, but now that like, you know, breweries are doing very well and there's a huge market for, for more select and interesting beers, like these top minds are like investing time and coming up with incredible. Stuff. It's, it's insane, man. It's insane. It's um, time to be a beer, beer fan. It, it is, it is. Well, it's, you know, and we, we wisely, you said, wait, save it for the podcast. So we were saying, you know, it's, it's amazing to find out like now, I most of my friends aren't IPA fans and I am a huge yeah. IPA fan like I you know when I was a kid younger first started drinking in college all that stuff like you know you pointed out IPA wasn't an IPA wasn't a real thing it was already a beer but it wasn't a big mm-hmm. market you know there right. um and come to find out the there is an actual kind of genetic disposition to liking IPAs versus not and yeah. it, and it comes sure. and it comes from people uh who sailed and spent a lot of time as sailors crossing the ocean because beer was a mm-hmm. staple on a ship and to keep it from spoiling they had to bitter it and right. so and, more hops right yes yes and and they had to source hops from india and so right. so there they, it is. and so creating circle. i know and so creating this bitterer beer that would last longer Sailors mm-hmm. became accustomed to that. You know, we're talking eighth century, ninth century, tenth century beers, 
and all the way up through, it became the bitter beers that oceaners drank. And then people who right. didn't sail, who didn't have anything to do with fishing or anything, drank wine. And that kind of disposition set us apart, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's always been a couple factors. And, and the, the, the main one is, you know, it's like, it's just a taste thing. You know, it's, it's, there's so much more interesting than just sitting there drinking a Bud Light or a Coors Light or any Bud Heavy or, you know, yeah. and like at some point you have two or three Bud Lighters and like, it's just sweet and like really just kind of you're over it, you know? And really yep. and the second point is that it's bang for your buck. The alcohol content is like double any other beer. And so like you drink one beer and it's the equivalent of drinking three, yeah. like lighter beers, you know? So it's like a little easier on your stomach and you know, yeah, well, you know, and also I find it's a little bit of a heavier beer and and because the flavors are so much more diverse um and the alcohol content is higher, it almost feels like you're drinking a food versus watery alcohol. Like it sure. it kind of it kind of tricks me into, you know, like you said you drink 2, 3, 7.5%, you know, two seven and a half percent beers, that's like a six pack. And yep. of Coors Light or something like that. And then you are kind of done. It you, you don't really get the putting six, seven, eight beers away in a sitting if you're playing with your friends. Or 100%. Something. I mean, there's caveats to it. Like, you know, if if we go out for a night with some friends or something like that, I can't drink that beer all night. No, like, no. I mean, I'll be tanked. Yep. Um, so, but I mean, luckily they have things like session IPAs that are pretty similar in taste, but much lower alcohol content. Hell yeah. Sessions, Sessinger, the little grenades now are those, those are the shit, man. Yeah. Good option too, for sure. But you know, you just gotta, you know, balance. It's all about balance. Hell yeah. You know, and pacing yourself. Of course. Of course. Well, <laughs> something that we learn in our older age and, uh, that we took us time to figure out, you know? Oh, dude. Yeah. There was a very dramatic shift when and I, i'm sure i realized that one morning after just drinking too much i woke up and like it took two days to get over a hangover you know rather than half a day you know um and it was just like wow this is not worth it anymore yeah. you know like yeah. the, the, the night before was not worth it well you know and, and and as kind of both you know skinnier framed guys uh you could you know in our i assume the same for you in early 20s um, you know, you could basically eat anything and drink as much beer as you want and didn't, yep. didn't even notice it like gaining anything. And now, you know, I'm, I'm 33 and you're 34. Yeah. Just yeah. 34. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, fuck man. If I, if I, if I'm a, a little hard on a weekend, I wake up and I look at myself and I go, Oh, I, I noticed that, you know, your metabolism slows down, your knees hurt more. You, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a gnarly night the other day, or not the other day, but it was just like um, earlier this year. We were we were out. Um, I think we were in New York on tour, and we were at a bar. And like, I just ordered an IPA. I was like only a quarter of the way through it, and like the group I was with was like, "All right, we're you know our friends are at this other bar. We're, we're going on. Chug your beers." And like a dumbass, I chugged like three quarters of a eight percent IPA. Yeah, and I was done, dude. Like that ended my night full on. Like I went back to the bus, 
threw up, passed out the whole oh. nine yards, dude. It's just like done. I know. That's what I learned. Like, yeah, no slamming IPAs. Nope, 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 nope. And then, you know, part of you still wants to be 21 and be able to do it and not have to eat a full meal before it. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you just, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Um, Hey, uh, so um, how is... uh? How is kind of the whole, you know, adjustment we've been in right now? I, I, I think it'd be a little remiss to not kind of bring it up in quarantine and how that's affecting you and uh, sure. you guys are, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, it's, it's affected us in a big way, um, mainly because of my job. I'm a yeah. full-time musician and, and mostly a full-time touring musician, um, like live shows, rather, as yeah. opposed yeah. to, you know, studio session sessions. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, we were on tour when, when it really hit hard, like we were in New York city, um, and we were playing our second night at Irving Plaza and like midday before that show, like calls started coming in about cancellations, you know, venues like being shut down because you can only have like a hundred people together or, you know, it's getting smaller and smaller was the group number, you know, um, and we, you know, we heard rumblings about it, you know, coronavirus yeah, yeah. Is, is gnarly in Italy and China and other countries, but, you know, it was only starting to ramp up here. And um, so we foolishly were like, all right, well, these shows are going to cancel. We'll try and get through and play Philly still and a few others and we'll go home. But like just one after another, man, they kept dropping. And so we were just like, I guess we're going home tomorrow. Like we can't, <sighs> we had to cancel the whole tour. Um like we lost about two and a half weeks of shows and that hurts. And, um, yeah. So like, you know, it's not a, it's not an uncommon story for sure. Like the whole industry just ground to a halt. It did, on. man. Like, yeah. Done. Yeah. We're noticing um, it here too, man. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, luckily there's been all kinds of relief funds like music cares, um, who are owned by the Grammys or started by the, the Grammy foundation. And, the ACM and uh, Live Nation has has a relief fund, so yeah. like we were able to apply for plenty of, of these these music relief funds, and um, so a lot of a lot of people are you know getting through because of you know donations from people who actually care about music and what we do and stuff like that. So that's been great. That's been a huge blessing. Sure. Um, luckily, my wife works from home as well, so her job wasn't affected or anything like that. So good. Um, other than completely losing my job and getting furloughed, we're, we're fine. Healthy. Everybody's <laughs> but, healthy. I know you just took a trip up to see some folks and everything's good there, you know. Yeah, yeah my in-laws are about a couple hours away in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Beautiful. Um, which is a really just an amazing city. Um, and they've got a great plot of land out, out in the, the boondocks, got a farm out there. And so that's yeah. kind of like an oasis for us, you know. Um, they're all staying quarantined, so every... Once or twice a month, we get down there and, and visit them and okay. hang out with horses and goats and all, all manner of farm life. Does it, uh, does <laughs> it, so, so does it, is it, do you get the kind of feeling, you know, because I, but again, both being from Alaska, I think we kind of have this relationship to mountains. Yeah. And uh, there's not a lot of mountains in Tennessee, if I'm correct, right? Not a ton. I mean, there's the, the drive from Nashville to Chattanooga goes through a mountain pass um okay. and so there's like i mean they're more hills certainly sure. compared to alaska they're more hills more hillish 
Um, but it's beautiful. I mean, the Smoky Mountains aren't, aren't terribly far away either. You know, we've gone there. Oh, a few yeah. Times. Smoky Mountains. Sure, that's sure. An, yeah, that's an incredible sight to see. But yeah, I mean, as far as landscape, do you get it's kind of hard to compare anything. But when you when you place. when you go to Chattanooga and you get in this, you know, you like you said out in kind of the boondocks kind of uh do you do you get sort of that same kind of relationship feeling back to nature like away from everything and that you felt I guess oh, sure. as a kid at home? Yeah, you know, as a kid I never growing up in Alaska I I certainly took it for granted and as, as I know like a lot of kids growing up in an amazing place does like it's you know, it was it was a of course, amazing to build a snow machine and dirt bike and shoot guns out yeah. your front door, you know, in Alaska. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until like I moved away and heard and saw everyone's reactions to the fact that I'm from Alaska, you know, made me think like, oh, this, I guess this is kind of interesting or, you know, different than the norm that right. I was used to. Started going back for Christmas or summers, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of amazing, you know. It's like yeah. you, you kind of have a new perspective once yeah. you live in a area, sure, somewhere else, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, um, I I think back often to growing up as a kid, and like you said, snow machining, going out, playing in the woods, going to the Caribou Hills, doing doing all of those things, and that was such a normative part of life. That hey, winter's coming, tune the sled up, we're going riding. Or, hey, mm-hmm. it's summertime, we're just going to walk to the river and fish and catch yeah. gorgeous salmon. And, oh, yeah. And you go, yeah, like just you, you put up, you know, you go away and you come back or you hear people talk about it like it's like it's Pandora, like it's some place that is. And no kids that I know from here had any growing up like that. I mean, oh, it, no. You know, Certainly it's. Not. Do you uh do you feel like uh it helped shape you be a little more of a kind of traveling guy growing up in such a small town? Do you think that? You know, I think so. Um, you know, when you grow up in a small town, obviously you have that like innate desire to get out and yeah. see the world kind of thing, you know. Some of us. Um Yeah, sure. And I've never been like a huge wanderer or um Okay. You know, I I don't get like, you know, where stuck in a place and get, go crazy because I'm bored or anything like that. I'm pretty good at like, I can hunker down and chill for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've been able to, to do what I do, um, mentally successfully. Like I get through it because I mean, at the end of the day, I get to play music every night, you know, and, and that is like the thing that makes it worth it. You know, it's sure. us being away from home. And from your bed and from your wife and from your dog and from kids, you know, for people who have kids and yeah. your family, you know. Um, but, man, some, for some reason, once, like, I get on the road, I, I kind of get into this routine. And it's just, you know, it's a blast. Honestly, That's it's a blast. So like, I, I feel like I have the best job in the world. and You do. Um don't take it for granted. That's for yeah. damn sure. That's know? Well, hey, that's that's the biggest thing is being being in the moment, you know, being mindful of the, of what it is in fact you're doing. And, uh, I guess now with, with COVID and everything, uh, how quickly it can be taken away too. So it's hundred percent. It's, it's been eye opening for sure. Um, when I first moved to Nashville, I was like really on the mindset that I'm going to get into the session world more, you know, and, and try and stay home and, and play less live shows and, um, make a career out of that. But once I started 
doing that, I noticed like everyone around me who were like re- like lifers in the in the studio were honestly kind of burnt out. Um, it's because like in a, in a town like this or a town like L.A. or New York, when it's like it's literally just a machine, a music making machine. Um, it's like a factory, you know. You go yeah. in there, and it's just like these dude, it's all these road dog obsession legend dudes are just like you know they get a new pretty lame honestly from being honest pretty lame song like countries country songs you know yeah. it's mostly country songs um and most of the work is just like rich people or, or people with rich parents who are funding a recording session for their kid yep you know um for their terrible songs and they just want high quality produced versions of these songs yeah because they can afford it um so you're in there playing like one, four, five country songs all damn day. <laughs> um, and everyone just seemed so over it. And like everyone had to like, you know, be in their own bands just to get like, kind of get the let out, you know, and, sure. and kind of get some sort of satisfaction out of playing music still. Um, and I just didn't really, I didn't, I, I just don't have a passion for it really. I mean, it's a right. blast. I love playing in the studio when it's music that you're, you know, that's important to you or, or they yeah. helped write or just, even if it's an artist that you just enjoy like playing, of course it's fun. Of course it's an amazing time and very rewarding. Um, so I still continue to do session work, but like I never really pursued like the demo work or like, um, you know, just like the, like I said, like factory turnout <sighs> yeah. BS that yeah. is like 90% of the music scene here, which is pretty wild. But. It's it's kind of 90% of the music scene everywhere, man. It's, Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, if we're being well, honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, and I've never, I, I mean, I should, I should preface that by saying I've never been one to judge someone on their musical taste oh, or, no. you know, like what, what they do musically, because it's like as different as like, you know, like in a beer or like in a, like a, a movie genre or a specific yeah. movie or anything like that, or, or an album. It's like everyone's taste is so eclectic and different. How sure. can you judge someone for liking well, Billie Eilish or Reba McIntyre. It's like, they're completely opposite. You can like both. You can like either. You can like not. Well, sure. And, and, and just like, you know, making the comparison to movies and everybody will have their different tastes and genres and directors and all that stuff. But I, I think that it's completely fair to go, hey, man, I, I'm great that you love that movie, but that movie was garbage. Right? right. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of the 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 play that if, you know. It, emotions have a lot when you're the creator of it, but if you're an outside person and you're watching a movie and you don't know Steven Spielberg or you don't know these guys that that, that wrote or yeah. directed or put their bait, and anybody can just go, oh that, yeah, that movie was terrible, or that movie was great that changed my life, or you yeah. know, yeah, that's what's great about it. And that, but that's for that reason is why I always try and Caveat, have a disclaimer. Yeah. It's like. In my opinion, yes, like this yes. is not good or, or well, this is great because I, I don't ever want to judge anyone for sure. their opinion. But but what's a great is is you know there there are just the same as you know someone there's there's like movie critics and then there's just normal people and there's people that are entrenched in the world who have their opinions and that's kind of built on a foundation of uh, time and tested. Uh, tr- you know, ro- like you said, road dogging it. You're you're you've been in the trenches. You've you've done mm-hmm. it. You know, so for an opinion to come from someone of of your caliber, um, has a little more. While it is still an opinion, just carries more weight. Yeah, I mean, you could be like, I love this record because Jacob Astorius played on it, <sighs> and people would be like, who the who the hell is Jacob Astorius? You know, and like. Yeah. 
half the people like who hear it are gonna be like, yeah, this is like not my thing. It's fretless bass, play, like jazz virtuoso fretless bass. That's a niche market for sure. It sure and is. And so I appreciate it because I'm a bass player and I've like you know uh, listened to it extensively and and wrapped my head around it. And you know that's the kind of stuff you don't figure out on the first listen, you know, or your average person is no. going to hear it once and be like, oh, this is amazing, I, you know. You know, it's it's funny you bring up Jaco. Um, I as as a bass player as well. I didn't. I'm only now really getting into him. Uh, as as the musician that he was you know the the kind of jazz fusion thing really isn't my my bag to listen to i'm a prog guy i'm i'm a huge Mm -hmm. prog metal guy but um the the musicianship and the caliber and the and the 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 dexterousness of his playing is i mean so so during covid when everything shut down and i haven't played with my band and like five months or something like that just because of we're you know we were finishing up our third album in the studio and so we've been doing a lot of studio stuff and that time you know we weren't really sitting in our room practicing on you know for shows um and then this hits and so everything's kind of getting tied up remotely now from to finish that stuff but we haven't practiced like i said five six months something like that and so i took it upon myself to go okay to stay fresh, I need a study piece. I need to work on something that not only am I have I never tried to play before, I've never really heard before. And so I picked Teen. Uh-huh. I picked Teen Town. You know, great choice, and, hard choice. <laughs> That's no joke. I tell you, man. That it's, no, joke. no, and and you know, it's it. It was one of those things where I I took it on not because I wanted to play it as fast as he plays it because. Man, I mean, you even even the first the first measure of that song when he comes in on the sixteenth off, and he's doing all sixteenth notes at like a hundred and twenty beats a minute or something like that. You know, it's just yeah. so fast yeah. coming in on the sixteenth late. The you know the yeah. and the e and um and but I wanted to be able to think about navigating the fretboard. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, think in, think in tying together the chords because that song has a great chord progression. It's using a lot oh, of F ninths and, you know, a lot of nines, a lot of thirteenths. And yeah, it just something to break up my brain from the way I'd been thinking about all of the music I'd been writing so far. Yeah. And I think that's really important as a musician. If you're looking to grow. I mean, you can't just stay in one genre or you can't just sit in your room and and try to write music yourself without some sort of influence. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work. There's virtuosos out there. I'm sure, you know, someone like Jocko, he's, he kind of invented the genre, honestly. Sure. Like, at least as far as space goes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the only way to really appreciate, for me, you know, stuff like that is learning it and seeing what goes into it. Like a lot of people don't like jazz until they try and play jazz and they realize like there's a method to that madness you know like not just gibberish or random notes like these dudes are playing these notes for a reason even though it sounds odd to you it's like they're on such a different level different plane of talent um that it's just it's like trying to look at a chalkboard that Albert Einstein just wrote, yeah. wrote out. It's like, oh, it yeah. looks like gibberish, you know, it's like this doesn't make any damn sense to me. And I'm not even going to try to wrap my head around it. It's the same, you know, for a lot of musicians, you know, and a lot of different types of music. Um, and you don't really, 
get, you know, wrap your head around that so you try and learn learn it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to learn to learn songs, you know. That's yeah. how you you know, that's how you learn new techniques or different ideas, different chord progressions that you can mess around with. And so yeah, learning a song like Teen Town, I did the same thing. I played I learned Teen Town like about a year ago. And I was just like I remember I was think I was watching like a Victor Wooten interview yeah. or a lesson or something like that and he was like, yeah, I mean, everyone should know how to play D-Town. And he goes, just like plays it, you know, like offhand. And I'm like, well, shit, I should probably learn D-Town. Vic's See if I can do it. Well, it was it was actually Ben Eller. You know Ben Eller? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a few tours together. Oh, that's awesome. He, uh, I follow him pretty closely and, and actually it's funny enough, you know, even as most of a guitar player, you know, he does a lot of bass stuff with Andy Wood and, and Ben's, right. Ben's amazing. Um, uh, but he, him and was it, I think him and Andy did a thing with of teen town. They did this little thing on Instagram and kind of, you know, did this. And that was the inspiration for me to go, okay, well shit, Ben is, a stud of a guitar player and he's playing teen town on bass. And I'm go. All right. Yeah. If he's if he's doing this, I there's no reason. I got no excuses. Yeah, there's no, I no reason excuses. I can't. So shout out yeah. to Ben Eller. Oh, dude, I love. Uh, he's such a sweetheart. Um, yeah, we've been I we've did, been corresponding. Was, oh, great, awesome. Yeah, he was he was playing guitar for Whitechapel on a tour we yeah. did together. Yeah, um, that's how I first heard him. Hit it. Yeah, we just hit it off. Um, it was that when you were with dude. Static Lullaby. No, well, who are you with? Called- I think it was a band called Asking Alexandria. Oh, uh, you were with Al- Asking Alexandria? Oh shit! I think on that tour, yeah, that's when I met him originally. He, um, there's a thing that happens when you're on like a tour of like 40 dudes. Um, you know, they kind of you start to form like pods of, of friend groups. Yeah, and not like not at all like high school. It's not clicky or like you know you don't. Everyone is very cool. Everyone is oh like, yeah, doing their, what they love. So like, there's a, just an air of just love and acceptance all around. But like, you know, the guys who smoke weed start to hang out a lot more or the guys who, you know, love to play music and are like, you know, really dedicated to their instrument. They start to like notice each other and start talking and, and playing together and stuff like that. And um, that's kind of how Ben and I connected because he's just like, Ben, you know, he's yeah. insane. Um, and we kind of just noticed each other playing and we're like, hey, we should like at least be friends, you know, at least keep in contact after this. So we've done that. Yeah, Good. He's, he's, he's next level for sure. Yeah. 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 He's, he's a fucking stud. He, he, every, every time he puts out one of those, the, the, this is why you suck at guitar. I go, Oh, thanks man. That's, that's, this is why I suck at guitar. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, that rings so, true. Yeah. It, it really did. It, it really is. Um, Hey, so I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to go back in time a little bit. So, you know, we've, we've, we've both talked about kind of growing up in Alaska. Um, what, how did you get started wanting to be a musician? How did, you know, I don't know um, if your parents were musicians. I know that you and your brother both are phenomenal. So, um, you know, how did that kind of all happen for you, man? Yeah, you know, it was kind of, you know, my parents were, were definitely involved in a way. Both my parents are musicians, um, not career musicians, but certainly have talent there. And, you know, growing up in church, they did. My mom played keyboard and my dad got you know, back into playing guitar because of the worship team, you know, at church. Sure. Um, he, he grew up playing guitar obviously, but, um, you know, I was kind of always surrounded by music in a way, um, but it was a Christian household. So like, 
it was not a lot of secular music growing up. You know, it was um, I was like when I started getting into music, I was only allowed to listen to things like Newsboys or Audio Adrenaline or DC Talk, you know, or like whatever yeah. was like hip for my age group. Um, but then, you know, my dad was still a fan of, of amazing guitar players like Mark, Mark Knopfler and, and Dire Straits, <sighs> Phil Keggy and, and Jeff Beck and things like that, you know? So like, I definitely had a respect for musicians, you know? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until, well, I had a few pivotal moments in my life. One of them was like my dad, my dad had his worship team guitar set up. You know, he had his amp and his guitar. He was at the house for practice. And he had a couple old like Dan Electro distortion pedals. Um, and he didn't use them, but I figured one day I was like, I'm going to like try and rig this up and see what it does. And it was just like a gnarly fuzz distortion. And I remember to this day, I was like 11 maybe. Yeah. And I plugged it in and I turned it on and I was like, this makes the guitar sound so much cooler. Like, and it makes it easier to play. You know, there's more sustain. Uh -huh. You can do these cool ring out single notes. And that was just like kind of eye opening for me. And that's probably like what I attribute to like being into heavy music, you know, is like just like the energy that I felt plugging in and turning on a distortion pedal. Sure. It was like pivotal, you know? Um, and then I found a copy of Evil Empire by Raising Against the Machine in a parking lot of a school of my school. Like oh. a CD that was on the ground. Damn. And it was all it was all scratched up. So it barely worked. But that I heard that and you know, that was like the first time anyone wow. hear Tom's Tom Morello, you you just Yeah. Yeah. Guitars are different yeah. from and, that point on. Yeah, and to this day, you know, Tim Comerford's bass player for age oh. is uh, probably one of my biggest influences. Tim's as far huge. as just like you know, he writes really, really cool bass lines, um, and he understands the pocket and not to overplay. Mm -hmm. But he also understands, you know, his position as a rhythm section and the power that the bass brings to that band. I mean, it's like well, I tell people like Radius Machine is one guitar, one bass, and drums, and drop D, and they're the heaviest band I've ever heard in my life. There, you yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's something about bass players in a power trio that. Uh, gives them more breathing room to hold mm -hmm. to 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 be the the conversation joiner between the drums and the guitar because it you yeah. know you have you have the drummer speaking french and the guitarist is speaking italian and the the bass player needs to know both of those but only be able to speak it well enough to help the other two kind of understand each other. Like it's this fun sure. little relationship and yeah. Lost lonely boys are the same way. Those guys are so powerful oh, for being a three piece yeah. dude. Yeah. I mean, the vocals certainly help with them. They do. You know, having a, having just like such a big sound coming out. of. And it's funny. Cause like most trios that you can think of, you know, like, um, like rush or, you know, I wouldn't call Z ZZ Top. obviously a Rage Against Yeah, ZZ Top. Oh, Rage Against Machine obviously isn't a trio, but you know, musically, instrument wise, there's like, yep. you know, three instruments. Yep. Um, you know, there's just so much energy and sound. Green Day, or you know, it, like yeah. you just all across all genres, it's like you've got to figure out how to fill up that space. Sure. And there's something bigger about 
a bass player adding distortion and an octave or something like that to complement a guitar rather than a second guitar complementing a guitar. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's just such a bigger sound there. Um, so yeah, Rage definitely was an eye-opening thing. Same with the uh, you know Master of Puppets by Metallica. <laughs> like I was, I was huge into I was getting into rock music, but it was still like mostly Christian influence. Like it was, I was into Blindside and uh, you know Project Eighty Six, P.O.D. Sure, things like sure, that. yeah, yeah. Um, but then uh, yeah, uh, a big brother of a friend showed me Master of Puppets, and I was like, well, I mean that's it. You know, that's peak. <laughs> this is peak. This is what I've been looking for. You know. Um, so that that was really like what struck a chord to me, you know. And, and how old were you? I started. I mean, I was middle school. Yeah, yeah, twelve or thirteen, something like that. Um, and you know, I didn't really know what to do with that until I joined my first band in Alaska. It was a band called Fearless Leader. Um, oh shit! And. Oh, sh- yeah. I forgot all about Fearless Leader. Oh, you guys were fucking great, man. Holy <laughs> shit. Dude. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was the start. Um, I got lucky. I got lucky with that because I, it was a band full of like dudes in their 20s. And yeah. I was 16. Um, and so like I was immediately thrown into this situation with these like dudes who are like been playing music for a long time. And you know, they took it seriously because it's like, hey, if we actually like want to play music for a living, we got families Like, we need to like focus and, and do as good as we can and like play shows, and get out there and promote ourselves. Um, and I was just kind of like, yes, please, let's do it. You know, like yeah. I'm along for the ride. Um, but part, of it, part of that was probably just because it's hard to come by a bass player who wants to do that, you know, and especially yeah. in a small town. Bass player is always the one instrument that's like, hard to find for someone who's like dedicated and interested in it you know? yeah 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 um so that helped a lot man i was just like as soon as that happened everything else was out the window like i wasn't interested in sports anymore or you know snow machining or snowboarding or anything like that there's other things i i still did them but like you know growing up you're like really into these things oh yeah but then you find the one thing that's like this is where my passion lies and everything else is out the window you know? yep so that's awesome that's how it all started wow wow man um what yeah because you know it, it's funny I, in like obviously i you know being trying to think back to that time you know we're, we're talking you know almost two decades ago at this point you know um yeah. I, I uh you know i think about you know, like being in high, recognizing, you know, that you were a musician in high school, but I guess you you just don't really know at that time how much t- no none of us kids are thinking about how much time you're spending it when you go home, making right. sure that you know how how you're doing it. So I guess I guess it's not surprising, but yet it's kind of surprising that I didn't realize how you know for a lot of my friends who became who are big you know players that you just didn't really know it it's crazy yeah kind of you know, everyone's on their own journey you know focusing on themselves I for know. sure i know and but you know it all comes together if you try hard enough all right so so you you're doing that you're you're playing music you get you get out what'd you go to boston for was that to to, to college did you go to well yeah there was like a pivotal moment another pivotal moment where you know i was graduating 
and we are fearless leader was still a band we were still playing shows by the way before we get into this i wanted okay. to tell you while we're talking about fearless leader i wanted to mention that the worst gig i ever played in my entire life was with fearless leader and i don't know why it's like a story i try to tell everyone because it's just it seems surreal you know yeah. how it went down but after all these shows that I've played in my career, I still go back to this one show and I'm going to tell the story just because we're on the subject. Please, and I figured please. I might as well. I'm but excited. Yeah. I, I was like only a freshman. So I was, I was younger as far as my, my career with this band. I want to call it a career, but my, my tenure with Fear Theater. Um, and at that point, like we were playing churches a lot. We were playing, playing like after youth group services, we'd come and play our songs and play, POD songs as well, you know, things like that. Um, and we had this kid that always came to our shows. And he was like, you know, he never introduced himself or anything like that, but I, I guess he was a moderate fan because he came to enough that um, his mom reached out to us at one point because he had committed suicide. Oh, shit. Um, which was pretty heavy for us. We didn't know the dude personally, like I said, but still it's like, you know, of course, it's a heavy thing to happen. His mom reached out and asked us if we wanted, if we would play his funeral. Um, <laughs> and she wanted us, yeah, like a heavy rock band. She wanted us to play his funeral. Um, and she wanted us to play Under the Bridge, which was one of his favorite songs uh, by, by the Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, he, uh, he, I guess he really liked our cover of Alive by P.O.D. Heavy yep, rock yep, yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> we can't say no to that. You know, it's like we're not going to tell a grieving mother, no, we're not going to play your son's funeral because it would be inappropriate for a rock band to play a funeral. Yeah. So she's on called Alive. Um, but I guess, it, you know, whatever. All personal preferences. Sure. Um, so we did it. We agreed to do it. And it was like in a church. It was at, the service was like midday. And I like took a half day out of school to go down there and, and meet up with the band at this church. We set up and we played under the bridge and it went, you know, well, because it's more of a chill, like chill laid back song. Um, and then we we're supposed to play alive. And this is in a completely different tuning. It's in drop C tuning. Oh yeah. Whereas under the bridge was standard and I can, do drop C by just tuning my low string down to C. <clears throat> Guitarist has easy. to go a whole step and then drop. Yeah, and you have to do every single string. Yeah. I didn't have to do that. Like I was able to, I can get the low notes just by tuning my E string way down. Right. Um, and I can play most of that song up just on one string because it's a fairly simple rock song. Our guitar player had to tune his entire guitar and he didn't bring a backup. And much, well, to make it worse, he didn't have a fucking tuner pedal either so he we finish under the bridge and he just starts going bing dong 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 tuning his guitar like you know while it's coming through the amp and like just using octaves to tune <laughs> oh no we got an entire church full of grieving friends and family sitting there watching us listening to the tuning songs yeah, listening to the tuning song. And we start the song, and it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with this song, oh. but it's like, like right off the gate, it's just like, yeah. 
Yep. It's like a full on like. Oh yeah, everything's going. Yep. Yeah. So we start, and like, there's like an immediate wave of like surprise by this crowd, and it's like so loud because it's rock song, and like the grandmas are in the front row covering their ears. Like people are like kind of just like looking at each other, like what is happening? Why is this the thing? And of course, we're thinking the same thing, you know, like, why are we doing this? What, what is happening? Um, and I look over and our guitar player is waving for us to stop. And we stop the song and he starts tuning his guitar again because like he just dropped it down to drop C. Of course, it's going to go out of tune. Like as immediately. Soon as playing yeah. It. So <laughs> we sit there while he retunes. He says, good to go. We start counting it off. We start playing the song again from the top. Everyone's back to covering their ears. I swear to God, I look over and our guitar player is asking us to stop for the second time. And Oh, no. In retrospect, we should have just kept playing. We're like, dude, no, we got to get through this. But we, yeah. we fucking stopped the song again for a second time to let him tune in the open, out loud, in front of everyone. This makes my stomach hurt. Dude, it sounds like I'm making it up. I, when I tell people <laughs> the story and I tell, them, I tell them that we stopped the second time, people are like, bullshit. And I'm like, dude, I swear to God, if, if I was making this up, I wouldn't say we stopped the second time. Yeah. That is just like yeah. improbable and unbelievable. <sighs> but 100%, we stopped twice to retune twice. We played the song all the way through and just like, hung our heads and walked off stage. Not to mention this dude's casket is right in front of us. And like, it's so like on the, on the floor in front of everyone. And we're up on the stage doing this. And it's like a, such a surreal moment so in my wait. life. And I look back, it just doesn't seem real. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. So you guys did all this. You left school early. You went and set up to play two songs. Correct. So you guys probably should have only been on stage for 10 minutes. <laughs> right? In theory. In, in theory. theory yeah. this, this was a 10-minute adventure. Swap, swap, boom, songs are over. Things yeah, go. In and out. <sighs> Not the case. Not the case. Hey. But again, like, of course it was inappropriate. Of course it didn't make sense. But like, you just can't say no you can't. to that. Like I get it if you're like a, a some sort of massive band, you can't just go to every every funeral of a fan. Yeah, but like we're just a band. Like and and not to mention like we were a Christian local band who was like trying to kind of like do our part to help outreach to kids and things like that. And when a kid who was struggling, uh, you know, commits suicide, of course we're gonna like try and do what we can to like help the family grieve and get you know. I don't know. Hey, man, that is is one insane. Two, uh, I am not jealous at all that I wasn't a part of that. That's right. um, But something to actually kind of hold on to, I think a positive shining moment of of this is every single person that was there hasn't forgotten either. No doubt. Yeah, probably never will. No, man, (laughs) you guys stopping twice in a row to, is it going to be, I mean, you know, People from now on will just you're you're always going to be that little bit in their memories, man. That's kind of neat. Yeah, that's kind of well, neat. you know, just you know, such an insane moment. And I don't think it's ever going to be topped. I just don't think no. it's possible to top that. Like, I don't think at this point I'm playing with people who are 
one professional enough to to either have a second guitar or a tuner to mute their thing. I should mention that that guitar, guitar player did not stay in the band that long. This was earlier on in the career of the band, <laughs> and he didn't. He clearly wasn't taking it seriously. No, no. Um, you bring two guitars, man. At least, God, dude, come on, get your shit together, bro. That's hilarious. Um. So so yeah. What so? Uh. What what brought you to Boston? Uh. Well. Um, I graduated and the band was kind of a turning point. They're like, look, if we want to do this for real, we got to move out of the state. And, you know, like there's just like no future for a, a Alaska rock band. Um, so they all wanted to move to Las Vegas. Cause they had like some sort of a connection there. Like our singer or some, something had someone he knew there. Um, and my parents were just like, nah, no, <laughs> <That's> not <laughs> you're not moving to Vegas. No. Yeah. It's like, you're 18, you know, you gotta have, we, they were, I mean, I should say they're, they're, they were extremely supportive and always have been of course, of, playing, of me playing music. Um, but their whole thing was like, look, you know, if you want to do music for a living, you need to, you know, go to college and invest time into becoming a better player and I pretty much agreed with him. It wasn't like a huge struggle because like, you know, we weren't the greatest band in the world. I didn't have like utmost faith that we were going to make it, Yeah. you know, and I wanted, but I did have, you know, a pretty good idea that music is what I wanted to do with my life, you know? So sure. I was like, yes, I I, I 100% want to become as good as possible because when the opportunity to join a band comes, I want to be ready for it, you know, yeah, yeah. to stack my deck, stack my deck, you know? Um, so yeah, I went to a college for music in Boston, um, at, at Berkeley college of music. Okay. And that was, you know, cause it came to a point it's like, well, we're, we're like a good school to go to for music. And like, obviously Berkeley is synonymous with that. What'd you have um, to do for an audition piece? You had to do an original song and then a cover song. Um, and did you do those on bass? And, yeah. 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 Um, oh, hold so, on. sorry. I'm so sorry. I completely skipped over this because I don't know this. How did you get playing bass? Was it because of Fearless Leader or did you start before that? How no. Did, how dude, did, yeah, it was. I didn't for even me, know. It was like, yeah, for me, it was, it was always the bass. Um, I know like a lot of guys kind of started playing, start playing guitar or start playing another instrument yeah, and like me. have to play bass out of, out of necessity, you me. know, cause like the band needs it or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a very common thing. Um, but for me, it was just like, I don't know. It wasn't like a specific player or, you know, a, a point in my life that I was like, Oh, the bass is amazing. But I was just like, I always just thought it was cool. You know, like my, my brother, started playing guitar around the same time I started playing bass. And so he like picked up the guitar and has a knack for it. And he's insanely gifted. Uh, yes, he is. Um, man, Derek's a man. Yeah. yeah. He's wild. Um, he's like, uh, he's next level. <laughs> See, that's <laughs> like, how, that's how, both... I, that's how I feel about my little brother too. We're both kind of the older brothers and our little brothers are better musicians than we would ever could. Like they just have it. Yeah. <laughs> well dude i mean like when when i was like listening to, to rock music you know and like we're like performing in front of a mirror you know working on my stage moves 
he was like woodshedding, you know, and like reading music and, and listening to jazz and, and like putting in the hours. Right. So he's like where I've always been like more of a performer or, um, you know, I wouldn't say like I'm more naturally gifted than him, but like I've always just like, I think it might, it might've come easier to me. Um, or at least, you know, like I just kind of found my niche really yeah, quickly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, whereas he just like put in the hours, like on theory and, um, and technique and, you know, it paid off cause like he's just insane. Yeah. That's, that's, that's rusty too, man. He's the best bass player I've ever met. Yeah. So he was already like excelling at guitar and I was like, well, we don't need like a third guitar player in the family. Um, and bass is always kind of like, was interesting to me. So my parents got one for me for my 12th birthday. Um, Fender Squire bullet bass, yeah. white on white. Um, so that was my first bass as a P bass. And that was kind of just like, I, I didn't look back. I, I wasn't interested in anything else. Um, There's something satisfying about big strings, man. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it was. Like, even to this day, I feel like bass is the coolest instrument. Same. And not because I'm a bass player. It's just like, I've seen people's faces when, like, there's a good bass player. People are like, damn! Like, it brings it brings the soul and the funk yes. and, you know, the energy to songs. And, you know, when there's, like, a cool bass line or a cool bass fill, people's reaction to it is like exponentially more than just like a cool solo or like a drum solo. I think, I think it has to do with the, the Hertz range at which we exist in. And I think, I think because most of the notes we play all move our internal organs, like just because of the frequency, man, when a sub hits in pretty much 80 to 200 Hertz, you're, your your insides move around, man, and I think that yeah. really actually kind of resonates more than the fant the most beautiful articulate shreddy m- m- melodic solo c- could bring yeah, so much that. emotion. You listen to Comfortably Numb, and you hear Gilmore's movement and and soloing and everything through Comfortably Numb. That brings mm-hmm. emotion, but it doesn't move you like some nasty big heavy baseline moves you i don't know yeah 100 percent. and i've always maintained too that you know obviously it's only four strings and you don't have to play chords or five in the month yeah but i mean if you're like yeah, learning yeah, bass yeah, for the yeah, first yeah, time yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah you're not playing chords you're not doing anything intricate you're just playing like sometimes four notes in a song you know yep um so obviously bass has there's this big misconception that it's an easy instrument you know or like the lamest instrument you know mm-hmm. um but I've always maintained that it's like the hardest one to be good at because oh, yeah. you know you're got to do you got to do rhythm, you've got to do me- melody, you got to worry about chord progressions. Like you're doing what everyone else in the band is doing plus one, you know. Like drummer's not having to worry about melody or nope. you know, chords. No, neither is the vocalist having to worry about rhythm. You know, neither is a guitar player really. Like you could be a sloppy guitar player and be incredible and. and yeah, if your drummer like, and your bass, you if your drummer and your bass player are tight, and not even yeah. like amazing, tight. Yeah. If they're one piece, the guitar player can do almost anything. Right. I mean, look at Led Zeppelin, dude. I mean, Jimmy Page was like a notoriously sloppy guitar player. Yeah, and John Paul um, Jones is the man. <laughs> yeah, truly, he doesn't get enough credit. I will no. mention he doesn't 
I get enough credit. Like yeah. he, he wrote some of the best riffs in well, that band. He, and he, you can hear those riffs and you're like, that's a bass riff. Like a bass player wrote that riff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and 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 Jimmy Page went. Oh, I only have to learn, you know, this run on one or two strings, and most of the song yeah. is done other than what I want to just improv. Um, right. You know, not not to discredit Jimmy Page or any single member of that band or any instrument really. Everyone's got their part. All I'm saying is that like bass guitars have to do both. You know, well, they have to do rhythm. And well, metal. well, I think I think it's a perfect example to bring up Led Zeppelin because you did have someone like as a kind of verbose as Jimmy Page was, but not a technician, but verbose. Right. Then you had a, a, a Bonham. Bonzo is one of the wickedest drummers, so powerful and so emotive, but every almost every song you listen to, especially in the first four albums of Led Zeppelin, every time he does a fill... It sounds like he's almost ready to fall down the stairs and then he catches himself again. Like like right. he just going, yeah. he's going, he's going, and then it's all oh, okay. Now he's back on the beat. And the only thing totally. that keeps him there is John Paul Jones. Like APJ. Like he yep. his solid solidity and rhythm and everything that he brought to the band is what kept John Paul Jones not falling down the stairs. I mean, I mean bottom fall, not falling down the stairs and Paige like Yeah not floating away in a hot air balloon. Dude, it's just good to show you, man. Like, you know, Bonham is one of the most uh, highly regarded drummers of all time. Yeah. But he pushed and pulled on that, on that beat notoriously. Like, he was all over the place, you know? Yep. Yep. Not in a bad way, but in a way that he knew what he was doing. He was, like, yeah. wrangling a horse, you know? Like, oh, man. He, must, he, was, he knew what he was doing, but, like, it would have gone off the track if there wasn't someone keeping it. Well, well, have you have you heard um, what? Um, uh, oh man, was uh, God? I can't. Remember. Frank Biata, right? Be- What's his name? Paul Paul Biata, Biato. Paul Giamatti. Um, n- no, no, I don't. I don't think it's Paul Giamatti. It's he. He does. He does <laughs> like he does. He he's a a great uh like knowledgeable musician guy. He has his own YouTube channel and series. And Biato Beato. Beato? Rick, yeah, I'm not sure. Rick Beato. I don't know. There's this. I, I'll I'll share him with you after. I know you know him. He has like gray hair. He knows everything about music. He plays all the instruments, and he does like like this is what the song would sound like if it was um, quantized. This is what, and it's crazy. He takes through and takes Led Zeppelin songs, Bonzo's beats, and then quantizes them, and shows what it would be like if you played if you moved his beats around to what a computer would tell you his beat should right. sound like and it is it 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 sounds like modern programmed drums on sure. any pop song yeah it's it lost all its swag yeah 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 um okay That's well 50 percent of it so so you go to berkeley sorry i, I know i'm jumping all around but you're such an interesting dude no, that i good. can't i can't not ask you so many things <laughs> um you go to berkeley you're doing that. How did a static lullaby thing happen and pull you all the way across the country? Um, well, I was about two years into, into my studies at Berkeley. Um, and it was getting to a point for me where I was just like, you know, the things I'm learning here for the most part are like, things I'm honestly only going to use if I'm like teaching music to other people, yeah. you know, or if I'm like, 
am on piano and playing a, an instrument like piano or something like that or you know something that's just like got like of course there's so much more you can do on piano than bass guitar you know like there's so many more chord options and like you know these stacking chords and all, all those things and i was such so deep into theory and stuff and i was just like man this is like not what i'm interested in i'm honestly not interested in, in re- sheet music and like yeah. and and doing this stuff and of course it was great i learned a lot about um you know focusing focus and dedication and of course you learn about all kinds of amazing musicians and records mm-hmm. to check out things like that um but it's getting to a point where it's like you know i want to be a performer and you know just like in a band i just want to be on a, yeah. on a record label and go on tour and play rock shows at this point you know so all this uh, time you're you're a you're a heavy metal guy you're a rock guy right all through this time yeah you know i wouldn't say I wouldn't call myself a heavy heavy metal guy. I've never been able to just call myself a heavy metal guy. Like I certainly have a passion for it, especially playing it live. There's yeah. so much energy to it, you know. And like when the crowd is into it, you know it. You yeah. Know? Well, like, I mean, you're wearing a Deftones t-shirt, so it helps. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you know, I'm I, I I love heavy music. There's always a place in my heart for it. Um, but at the same time, growing up, like I always, you know, I, was, I when I was in high school, I started getting into weather report a lot more Herbie Hancock, you know, and yeah. um, Jocko was a big thing for me. Once I discovered Jocko, I was like, wow, there's like so much more to the base that I didn't realize was there. Yeah. You know, because I was like mainly playing rock music. Um, right. So Berkeley helped a lot with that. It opened me up, opened my eyes up to so many different musicians and um, different genres and, and kind of they teach you how to play all kinds of different genres, you know, um, so it was an incredible learning experience, but I just, in general, just wanted to get out there and play music. Um, but from my, you know, from just like absorbing so much rock music and stuff like that, I had all kinds of bands on my radar and one of those bands was a stack lullaby. I was always a fan of their first record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw them at taste of chaos, like right when I moved to Boston, they played the inaugural Taste chaos tour, um, with, the used and like the local romance kill switch engage um you know yeah uh, a few other bands and so that's how i knew of them and then just straight up myspace they they posted that they needed the bass player and they were doing auditions um damn and i was like okay well i guess you know, that doesn't happen very often you don't see like a, a band that's signed on a label just doing open call auditions for a musician you know um so I immediately just like MySpace messaged them and I was like, Hey, you know, I've been playing bass for how many years and um I I go to Berkeley College of Music, you know, I'm a professional and I don't know, whatever I said in the email was enough for them to, to respond to it. And they were like, Yeah, let's let's have you come out to LA and and do an audition and see how it goes, you know? And I was like, Yes, of course, this is my opportunity, you know, it's all happening. Um, and like, I got started to like get ready mentally and like start working on their songs. And then the next day, the lead singer called me and was like, look, we just auditioned a guy and it went really well. Um, and we just like, don't want to have to like fly a dude out from Boston, some random dude out from Boston. Um, if there's like a chance that like, it's just not going to work out. We've already got a guy sitting here that we know who's like, yeah. someone recommended him a friend and he's going to 
you know, he can feel the part. Um, and I was just like, I think I took a couple hours and dealt with that. And I was, I ended up calling the dude back and I was like, look, you know, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but essentially I was like, look, just let's do it. Like I'm coming out. I can pretty much tell you right now that like, I'll get the part. Like, <laughs> I'm, and I had to like be like a little cocky and that it's something that I've never was. Okay. Done yeah. or, was that assuredness? That's not characteristic of you normally. hundred percent. Not like, no, I'm like, I'm always been very hard on myself. And I think that I, I, I attribute that to, to how I, I think I, I've grown as a musician because like, I'm always, very critical of myself as a musician. Were you that way? Were, are you that way? Or would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Definitely intro. You're introverted. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm not. In, yeah. It's probably why we probably didn't talk a lot in high school. Um, mm-hmm. um, so were you, were you hard on yourself on other things in music too? Because obviously I'm getting the picture that even already in high school, you, you wanted to be a musician. You're doing this. I think I there isn't very many musicians at all that I haven't met that aren't hard on themselves. I think it's something inherently tied to being a creative when you put so yeah. much of kind of it's almost unavoidably what you are what you feel your worth is kind of tied to what you create, you know? Right. And it's like yeah, for me it's always only been that way when it's something that I'm passionate about. But what about what about you? About. What about you? That's not music tied to music. Are you hard on yourself in other aspects as well? Are you? Well, I mean, only when it's something that I care about. Really, honestly, okay. like okay, you know, I was, I grew up, uh, you know, like I said, like as soon as I discovered music, everything else like fell by the wayside, and that included like sports, and and like uh, you know, I was always okay student, but like sports is a good example because like I only cared about that because my friends did it. And like, mm-hmm. it was just like a, an entertaining thing to do with my buddies. Um, I never cared enough about it to practice. I kind of relied hundred percent on natural ability, which, you know, is not a lot. So like, I was never like a great athlete. Yeah. Um, but, and I never just, you know, I, I never responded well to people like getting, trying to get you pumped up or like getting angry at you because you didn't catch a ball or something like that. So I was just like, this is not, I don't care enough about this to like get worked up over it. Um, but then when something came along that I was passionate about, which is music, like it kind of took on a whole new thing. Um, so yeah, like I will always analyze my performance afterwards after doing a show. I'm like, damn, that solo. I never like taking solos because it's like, I always feel like half or three quarters of the solo was great. And then like, you know, the rest was garbage, you know? Mm. Like I, I can't believe that that did not go like I wanted it to. Sure. And I'm always, I've, yeah, it's always been that way for music. And I don't think I've ever been like, I've you've, never really fully walked off stage and been like, that was perfect. hundred percent. Everything even happened now, with what I wanted to. Even now? Even now. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. C- Cause it's hard for me to go now, you know, I, I've played enough shows and gone enough places to know that you have a range of the types of shows that you'll play and i i have to think though to be kind of a little objective you you probably don't have any shows that suck now right Right. yeah i mean sure at least you know definitely from a crowd's perspective for the most part like 
audiences are always just like special I've ever seen, you know, or, you know, yeah. they're always very still coming because it's a live show. There's a lot happening. No one, and for sure, no one's watching the bass players you know, <laughs> the whole time and, and catching things where they, they messed up on, you know? So it's always been a personal thing for me. And, and, um, every show I try, especially when you're on tour and playing yeah. a show every night, um, you got to mix it up, you know, at least for yourself. If not, you know, try to get the band to, to either change the set list up or do new songs that you haven't done in a while or things like that. But if that's not the case, which is most of the time it's not, like most of the time you're playing the exact same set every yep. night, yep. just so it's tight yep. and, you know, flows and everyone. You don't even have to wonder page. what song's coming next. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, that's like you're a well oiled machine. You get up there and pump it out and mm -hmm. put on a great show. But as a individual in that, operation i have to improvise or change it up or do things differently because otherwise like i'm just like you know you just you can literally like just not look at your fretboard and just like play an entire set oh yeah like phone it in you and know? then you go wait did, um, did we even play that song like you yeah, wonder like happens. you you miss you miss a whole song or two songs yeah yeah it happens so every show i try to do something different or do it baseline differently or try a different fill or in a different spot you know and mess around with it and i never walk away thinking i did everything perfect like that's mm. exactly what i wanted to do you know interesting but i guess that's probably that's part of what makes it a live experience you know yeah and oh. that's what how you grow as a musician of course too well i i one at from a from a, a musician as well i i love to hear that you're you're not okay with being static. Uh, no, no pun intended for the band name. But mm -hmm. but 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 with that, you know, you, you want to change up what you do so you don't find yourself being complacent. Um, but also from uh, a, a listener's perspective, you know, having someone who also enjoys going and watching other bands play. There's there's almost nothing more than I love watching bands play as a musician right. myself and going. You know, I one I, I feel solidarity to the guys on the stage, and and two mm -hmm. and and two I go, oh, this is like n night eighteen in a row for them, and uh, I can tell they're tired, and yet, you know, you you watch the looks when when no when no one else is paying attention, you can look at the looks between guitarists across the stage or the drummer oh, yeah. to the bass player, and like these little eye glances that the band starts having inter monologues when they're playing the songs, everything's going, the vocalist is singing his things, but yet the whole band's having a conversation in the middle of a song about something. You know? And well, I mean like the, the most obvious one is like when a band messes up, um, most people don't notice <laughs> at least. Yeah. At least not hearing it. Yeah. But like, you know, most of the time when a band messes up, no one, you know, like it's just like a little mix, like someone misses a fill or like, Doop. Someone hits something. No one cares or right. notices except the band. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, you know there was a mistake when, yeah, like you just like you did, like someone looks back at the drummer. Usually, everyone blames it on the drummer. You know? um, <laughs> there's always just like a quick glance that happens, and it's like not the normal body language of what this guy's been doing all night. He's right. like jamming out, and all of a sudden, as soon as the sharp head turn comes and they they laugh, it's like, oh, there's a mistake. Um, and that's fun. I totally get it. I'm not like, oh, I'm, like I'm not like you know, castrating myself, you know, okay. over a mistake or thing like yeah, that, you know, yeah. doesn't ruin my night. Um, but it's always just been a per about personal growth for me and being a better sure. player and 
every show is an opportunity to, to, you know, I don't know. There's so many different ways to, to look at it, but like, especially in Nashville, for example, if you're playing a show here, that room is full of producers and other band members and yeah. opportunities to, to make an impression or opportunities to look like a dumbass in front of a bunch right. of other bass players, yeah. you know, or, or other musicians. Yeah. So there's definitely like a, a new layer of, uh, you know, stress added on to play shows in Nashville for sure. Oh, wow. Um, so that would probably be part of it too. But I always embraced it. My wife is a good balance for me because after every show, she's like, that was great. Don't worry about it. Like you did great. No one cares. No one knows. Tells me the obvious things, but like things that you want to hear in those times. So do you, know? you do you take compliments well? No, not really. No. Um, yeah. No, it's always been kind of an awkward thing for me. Um, d d d yeah, it's 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 trying to be maintain being humble, and then I I always struggle if someone says something, and I I wonder if it's the same for you. Um, somebody gives you a compliment about something you did. And if you, I always go, if I go, yeah, thanks. I know. Like I practice a lot. I'm glad you, yeah. you record. Then you just sound like you're bragging. Or if you go, no, nah, man, that, that sucked. That wasn't good at all. Like, then you just like, you know, there's no middle ground. I've never understood how people can take it and how to respond without cycling some other internal monologue of you being bad at that too. I, I never understood. I don't know. I don't know what, what it is about that. Like I always just, you know, it, it's weird to, to complain about people telling you that you did a good job at something, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> everyone likes to hear it. Honestly, like, you know, they it's do. like, of course it feels good. And there's like a part of you that is like, Oh great. I, like someone noticed uh -huh. and like this, all this work I've been putting into it, especially um, as a bass player. <laughs> yeah. As long, anytime someone notices the bass player is cause for celebration, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's always been just like kind of a social interaction mostly. It's like, mm. you know, um, you know, it's just kind of like, I'm just weird taking compliments or, or you know, yeah. praise or anything like that. I don't like it. Like, uh, when it's like my birthday and like everyone in the room is looking at me, you know, it's like, I don't like being the center of attention. That's just probably why I'm a bass player. Cause like, I'm like the least, I, I gain the least amount of attention from right. a crowd on stage, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm hundred percent fine with that. Yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed performing and, and in rock music, especially I was, there was a time when I would, you know, have a wireless pack on my guitar and I would run around the venue and jump on the bar or swing the guitar over my head or do all kinds of dumb shit. Um, and it was awesome. I had a blast doing it and sure. it was great for the show and stuff like that. But as soon as like I'm off stage, I am not, the center of attention in a room i'm like i do not like it do you do you do you i've had to recognize that i'm literally putting on a mask before i get sure. on stage um and it's funny that when i'm when i'm playing you know i really don't feel like the me that's having a conversation with you right now when i'm on stage i don't think those are really right. the same people um, and when I get compliments, I feel like, especially right when you walk off stage, you're packing your gear out, you're doing the shuffle of everything and maybe helping the next band get their drums on stage. And that whole yeah. venue switch is happening and people are coming up to you and, Oh man, that was fucking great. And you're sweating. And I'm like, the mask is getting that. 
I'm not. Those yeah. people, those people saw this version of me that I put on a show for them to watch. And yeah. I, I almost never feel like that the me that sits in this room and dwells about it, or you're in the car ride home and or the, the van ride to your next gig, that person doesn't, I don't know. Do you feel that way? Do you mask it up? Well, and it's funny because as you were saying that, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I, my perspective on it. Um, and for me, it's a little different. I get, I feel like I, I, there's always been part of me that's been a performer. Mm. Um, and that's always just like a showman since day one, right? Yeah. Since day one being on stage, it, it comes out really easily. You know, it's just like, I just have, you know, it's like the energy and the crowd and like, just, I love performing live. It's like, it's always, it's one of my favorite things to do that's music related, you know? Um, so for me, it's always just, it's part of me, but it's like, I, I transition. It's like transition glasses, you know, it's like up on stage to off stage in the dressing room. It's like, I like just slowly transition to a different person, you know, right. it's really only the stage that brings it out. Yeah. Um, but that, there's a palpable feeling on stage for me. And it's like, you kind of lose inhibitions, you know? Really? Um, yeah. And, you know, and that's performing and, and playing, you know, on the instrument. Like, you kind of just try new things, you know? Most of the time when I'm, like I say, like I impri improvise a bass line, none of that is ever, it's literally improvised. Like, I don't practice different bass lines and decide which one I'm going to use that night. It's just like, I'm on stage. I'm in the moment. I'm just going to try this random thing that might work and might not, you know? And, and um, you, 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 you already know the timing. You already know what key you're in and you can just play yeah. around inside of that box and have fun. Yeah. It's an inhibition yeah. loss for me. Go on stage for sure. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Hey, welcome back to Falco's 90 minute meditation hour. <laughs> I'm your astrally projected inner truth self and part-time vacuum salesman, Falco. All right, my astro friends, start by closing your eyes. Sit on your root chakras and let's meditate. Today, we're going to practice being mindful. Start by focusing on the breath. Pay close attention to the air sacs slowly collapsing and expanding inside of your chest cavity. They put little tiny oxygen dudes into your body pipes and they ride tiny red Cheerios to your arms and legs like a top-down C5 Corvette cruising down a Pacific Coast Highway. Oh, oh, mindfulness. Right, right. The breath. You will notice thoughts pop into your brain, and you must let them go and go back to the breath. Pay attention to the breath. Feel your legs touching whatever you're sitting on, and feel your feet connected to the ankles. Why are ankles? The knobbly lower leg hinges called ankles. They don't ank. Oh, 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 it looks like that's the end of the show. Uh, uh, I guess that we were mindful for an hour. Whoa. Yeah. So we're talking about stock a little bit, right? 
Oh, oh well, um, well, you 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 had just you said okay, you basically were on the phone with him, and um, you said I I'm coming out there, and I'm basically gonna be. That's why I asked you about being confident. Cause, right. Yeah. So how did that yeah. go? Obviously, it worked. That out. That was like, yeah, that was definitely um, a comfort zone thing for me. I was just like, look, I'm just gonna have. I'm talking to this guy on MySpace. Like, there's <laughs> nothing going for me except my word. You know. Yeah. So I was just like, like, look you know i've been doing this long enough to tell you i know where i'm at as, as a musician and like if i go out there i'm gonna be better than this guy because you didn't tell me this is the guy sorry audition's over you were like we found a guy that's gonna i think we're gonna is gonna work and we know him he's a nice guy so you don't really need to come out and i was just but like but they took the time to reach 100%. out yeah they took the time yeah you don't seem 100 percent. so i hit him up and i was like i'm coming dude and he's like oh yeah okay fine um and that's what happened. I flew out there and like stayed with him for three or four days. And night one, like we we ran through a song just like sitting in the dude's living room. Like I was just playing my bass, not plugged in. I think he had an, uh, our guitar player had his electric guitar, not plugged in. You know, it was like totally low key. And we played a song, and like I played the parts like the record, and I like had learned the backup vocal parts, and so like I sang those. And like they were just like I remember seeing their faces like whoa like this guy actually like did the homework you know and mm-hmm. was prepared um, and we got to hang in and got got drunk off Bud Light and you know I was twenty you know yeah, this yeah. is like such a surreal experience for me to be like sitting in this room with dudes I watch on stage and like yeah. I'm a fan of um, but I just like busted my ass learning the song. And that's what I've done for every audition I've ever done is just like, just, you just can't phone it in, man. Like you've got, if you want a gig, you got to do something that the other guy didn't do, you know, whether it's make the song your own, you know, or play it exactly like it's supposed to be, but do the backup vocal parts, you know, or uh, part of it's being a really good hang too. You can't be a weirdo who's like quiet or, you know, says something offensive or anything like that. (laughs) it's a delicate it's a delicate balance you know it is um, man yeah but it went really well and like night one they were like yeah i think this if you want this gig it's yours and that was it okay and so then then with them you wrote two albums with those guys right yeah yes. yeah we pretty much like static little and rattlesnake first... correct yeah. yeah self-titled record because it was like bands reforming like they had to Kind of the band had, had taken a break for a while. They had, their second record was like a big deal for for them and for the industry. Like everyone had their eyes on them because they were like a new band that had a great debut record. Here's their big second record on a major label. Um, you know, the sophomore slump classic yeah. story. You know, uh-huh. it was like it wasn't what they they went in a different direction and no one wanted to hear that direction. Even though it was a great record, but like it's not what it wasn't screamo. You know, which is what yeah. they kind of a genre that they kind of helped start mm-hmm. uh, and so they kind of did a reset and they they got rid of a few members who were like the dudes that wanted to like change up the formula you know and so they brought in a new drummer and myself um phenomenal drummers um student jared alexander um who is still a good buddy of mine and, oh, and good. Just, yeah he's in a band called adamantium and oh. suicide file yeah and he he went on. He's he, Michael Romes is drummer now, and he plays with Gerard Way, the, the singer's solo act, and uh, Alkaline Trio. He's like a dude. Like he's tr- 
truly like an incredibly gifted musician. That's awesome, um, man. And you guys are still so buds. I, yeah. So I got to come in. I got to step into this situation playing with a, a drummer who was just like already a, a, a dude, you know, like he'd been doing it for years before this. And um, that was just like such an insane situation walking in to a, well, one incredible thing about this situation is, you know, it was like a resurgence of the band. They wanted to have this new record and call it a stag lullaby self-titled, you know, cause this is the band now. Yeah. And so they got a lot of support from the label. And so we did the record at sound city. Oh um, fuck. Yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah. So like I walked, my first professional recording experience was at fucking sound city. Like I walked in and there's the nevermind gold platinum plaque and the Tom Petty and Slipknot and Fleetwood Mac, like the whole wall was lined with plaques from and and you got to and you got to record through that fucking board. Yeah, I like I didn't know anything about it. Like I I didn't know oh, anything. Boy. I didn't know what Sound City was. I didn't know who Rupert Neve was. Um, Dane, and that's like, fucking yeah, this, amazing, dude. I know it. I know it, man. I still I look back and like it's a very surreal experience because <sighs> I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was walking into, and they were like this board was in that movie Boogie Nights. Remember Boogie Nights with yeah. Mark Wahlberg when they go into the studio and they're recording like that terrible song that they wrote. Um, this was here and this is the console. I was like, oh, badass for the movie. And then like, not realizing <laughs> what it really was. Like this Ooh. is like a million dollar console here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was an insane situation for me. And 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 when you went just, into that situation, did you help? Were you part of the writing process on that first one you went in? That's yeah, awesome. they were they were very they were very in, inclusive about you know like bringing us new guys in and letting us say what we wanted to say on That's this record, awesome, you know, and do man. what we wanted to do. So that went really well, and I kind of wrote it. I wrote with them basically as a bass player you know like they two guitar players were basically the songwriters they were yeah. like the ones who were coming up with with a bunch of riffs and stuff like that and i just was able to just kind of like do what a bass player does which is bring in my compliment the song you know um the second record it we we broke it down to a four piece the guitar player was tired of touring and being in the band so he quit and this was like one of, uh, not the original guitar player, but one of like these newer guys. He, he just didn't, it wasn't the same. Yeah. So he stopped playing with us. So it was me and the guitar player writing this rattlesnake. And I took on like a, a new role as a, as a songwriter and stuff. I tell you um, what, Rattle, Rattlesnake's yeah. a bad album, dude. I mean, that, uh, you definitely heard the growth, the shift, the, the, the overall kind of tone and feel of Rattlesnake was so much different than a static lull. I mean, it, it really yeah. was a huge growth. Yeah. Thank you. And I mean, I was just, I've always metal and rock has always come very easy to me. Just mm -hmm. writing riffs like that, you know, especially yeah. as a bass player, they're all, a lot of those riffs are just single note, you know, Southern rock riffs. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot me. I'm proud to say, like, I was just like, you, you know, okay, I'm going to like, let's write this record. And I, I, I've always played guitar. I've always picked it. I picked it up pretty early on with the bass too, you know, so it was always an instrument I knew. And, um, so I, I wrote a lot of that record with our guitar player and it came out, we were very happy with it. And, yeah, man. you know, it was like, it, it didn't do all that well. I mean, it, it did okay, but like right. it didn't skyrocket the band's career or anything like that because it was a metal record. And, um, 
you know, screaming on it. So I mean, you can only get so far with that, but uh, yeah, we're super proud of that record. And we still, I still see it every once in a while on like a best records from 2000, best metal records from 2008 or something like that, which is really cool that people are still hearing it and yeah, appreciating dude, it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and man, when I was in college, uh, you guys were one of those bands that I had in my car rocking a lot, a lot. And I was like, anybody, I, you know, I'd be in Arizona going to college at a party. Someone be listening to some post hardcore, some, you know, something like that. I go, have you guys heard of a static lullaby? They're like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> I know the bass player for this, man. We went to high school in Alaska. And everyone's like, you were in Alaska and this guy's in that band? It was just, it was one of those things where I was like, yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. It's a, it's a pretty <laughs> surreal connection. As soon as you bring in the fact that it's like, oh, in Alaska, yeah, we grew up. It's like, what? Yeah. That's a story. I know. Yeah. Well, that's pretty. awesome, man. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty surreal, man. Um, And so you did that. Um, And then how did Dashboard start? How'd you get tied up uh, with those well, guys? There's a lot in between that. Um, I, uh, in like 2000. 10 i think i moved to portland yep um and i kind of quit static lullaby we were kind of they weren't really doing anything so i was just like i'm gonna like move i don't need to live in southern california anymore sure. like it's just there's nothing here there's concrete you know and like douchebags Gar- yep garbage um and so i moved to portland and i needed to work so that's when the opportunity for asking alexandria came up Ah. Um, we had a static lullaby had taken them out on, I think their first U S tour ever that they ever did. Cause they're from England. Um, and so they were like one of five on our tour, you know, mm-hmm. the little baby band, but they like were killing it. I'm yeah. pretty sure they only had demo that we multiple times. We took out bands that went on to become huge. Like, um, attack attack was another one that was oh, like, you guys were of, kind of the gatekeepers. Yeah, sure. I can. I'll take that. But they were like one of five, and we we're like, I've never heard of the band, um, but like, the whole audience was like knew every single word, and they only had MySpace demo. Like, they didn't even have a record out. Um, they were just sort of blowing everyone away in merch sales every night. Like, what has happened? Who is this band? And then they go on to become massive, which is what Asking Alexandria did. So I always kind of knew those two, um, and they. I started actually guitar teching for them because oh. it was a point where static wasn't doing anything. I was living in Portland. Um, and there wasn't like really a lot of opportunity to like play in Portland. Of course there's a great music scene there, but like I was touring, I wasn't like trying to, to stay and, and join a band in Portland and, and do that. Um, and asking I was entering needed a guitar tech and they, I kind of got connected to them and it was like really good pay. And I was like, Oh Yeah sure like i'll take i think it was like almost 1500 a week Ooh. to guitar tech yeah and i was like that's way more than i made in a static lullaby um and i already knew kind of how to guitar tech because i just did what i would want out of a guitar tech yeah. you know yeah like I, I would want my coils or my cables coiled up and i would like the stuff taped out i would like my pedal board to look legit you know and my guitars to be in tune and all that it's pretty easy you know mm-hmm. um i was already familiar with the instrument and maintaining it so i did warp tour and um actually a lot of huge tours with that band um 
we got to do all like the European festivals, like Download and Rock and Park, Rock and Ring, and um, tours with Slipknot and Event Sevenfold. And wow, I don't know. It was just like it was like next level. Does like, that seem like you know, a blur? In, Does that part of your life seem like yeah. a blur? Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's just like there's it was like two years of, of like full time touring, like wow. never going home. Um, cause they were killing it and like, we just did it. And I ended up playing shows with them too, because their bass player like had some, had like a wrist thing. So I had to, I started playing with them too, which was really cool. And it got to a point though, where I was just like, yeah, I'm kind of like over metal right now. Like I kind of just overdid it and I oversaturated myself, you know? Sure. Um, and so I had already met my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. But I was like, you know what? Like, Portland is kind of running its course too. Um, and this sucks because you live in Tennessee. My wife's from Chattanooga. Um, we never got to see each other until like Did I was you off meet tour. on tour. Yeah. So, like, a friend's technically on tour. We had, I was touring with a guy who was dating her cousin. Ah. And she had set them up. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to return the favor. I'm going to introduce you to my girlfriend's cousin, who I think you would get along with really well. Cause she's super fucking cool. And you guys are into the same shit, like Star Wars. and You Fuck both you. like a lot of the same music. And and so he made her come out to a show. I was on Warp Tour. Um, and she didn't come out till the end of the day. So like she didn't come out to like hang out with bands or get in for free to walk to her ah. or be on side side stage or any of that shit. She came out the end of the night and like, we went over and like sat together and just talked for hours. Close down time. Yeah. She came at the end of the day and I was like, wow, that's already like a plus, you know, oh, yeah. like she's not just like a scene chick. Nope. Um, well, there's plenty of those around and like, that's not my interest, you know? Um, so she was amazing. We hit it off and it was all long distance until I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to move to Tennessee. Like Nashville's there. That's like a hub, you know? Yeah. Um, and a great like place to kind of seek my next opportunity that's, as a musician. That's beautiful. How long you guys been together now? 10 years. 10 years. 20, 2010 is when we met. Yeah. Congrats. Man. Thank you, man. She's amazing. And you got, um, you got one dog. And, yeah. Yeah. We, we had a long haired wiener dog. Named Luna. Ah, little one. Yeah, yeah. yeah me a, me and my girl been been about ten years, just the same, little over, and uh, we got two big dogs. So we're we're big dog people. I'm a large man, awesome. so it kind of kind of helps. I I always feel very strange around small dogs that couldn't carry a frisbee. Yeah, <laughs> she's a psycho man. She's like she's very active, but like you know. Only when she wants to be. She's sure. mostly pretty chill, but when cool. she gets hyped, she goes she goes wild. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, great. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, Tired I played with this band called, yeah, I, I played with this band called Of Mice and Men for a while too. Yep, I'm um, very familiar. They're, yeah, they were old friends. And well, interestingly enough, we toured with Attack Attack and we had a touring guitar player in a set of lullabies playing for us and he met the lead singer of Attack Attack and they kind of became buddies. Um, he got kicked out of Attack Attack and started up Mice and Men and was like, hey, Phil, our, you know, to our guitar player, like, hey, do you want to like be in of Mice and Men? And he said, of course, um, let's do it. And they went on to a lot of success and yeah. their bass player quit. Their bass player quit like 
I was like sitting in their back lounge on World Tour with them. This was like they were on the tour and I was on the tour. We weren't together though. Um, and like they're basically like quit in the back lounge of the bus and like walked away. And they looked at me. They're like, "Hey, like, you want a gig?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, sure, man. I mean, right place, right time. Right place, right time. Yeah, yeah. But with them, it was always like, you know, I was always adamant and that I was just like helping them out while they needed a new bass player. I wasn't interested in, in walking into a situation when there was a lot of drama going on and they were mm-hmm. having memberships and things like that. Um, and it came to a point where their manager called and was like you know, this is happening. This person's leaving. This person's coming in and we want you to be the bass player. And I basically, um, said no, you know, I was like, yeah, I love these dudes. But like the reason I'm playing with this band is because one of my old friends is in this band and like, you're talking about kicking him out. So I was just like, I, I don't want anything to do with this situation. Yep. And luckily it worked out. Like my friend stayed in the band and they like did some shifts and figured it out. And since then, like they've gone on to like, you know, continued success, which yeah. is awesome. I'm very happy for them. Um, and so, yeah, it was just like, after all that, I was just like, metal is like, I'm kind of just over it. You know, I want to like move to Nashville and get into different genres. And cause I can play different genres. Like I've always been interested in playing different genres. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moving into Nashville was like a big, a big part of that. And I started playing around with friends and, um, played a show with a buddy of mine opening for this band called Twin Forks, which is uh, Chris Caraba from Dashboard Professionals. Other band, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I played and we opened for them, and he was a buddies with Chris. Like the guy I played with was friends with Chris, so mutual friends. And Chris came up after the show and was like, "We sh- we need to play music together." Like that was, you know, you had, that was great. Like I really enjoyed it would you be interested in playing music with me? And I said, yeah, obviously. Yes, of course. Anytime. Let me know. You know we exchange numbers and all that stuff. Yeah. And ever since then, we've been playing together. I, I, I play in Twin Forks now. Um, and then when Dashboard kind of got back together, they had taken like eight eight or so years off. Yep. Um, and they were getting back together and they needed a guy to go on tour. And I was like, I do that. Like, you know, let's, Sure, it kind of just all fell in and you know into place, and so and so um, so you so you you're doing kind of you're 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 in Twin Forks, and are you doing writing duties with them as well, or are you just kind of doing the same thing with Dashboard as just? Uh, well, I joined after their debut record, so like any playing we had done has been on that record. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. But now, now that like we're staring on the pipe of a second record, and like I'm obviously like contributing more and we're gonna like do it as a you know he's always he's an incredible songwriter so like a great the greatest you know it, yeah. it, if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah you know, 100%. Like kind of situation like yeah i'm not gonna come in and be like i demand that i no, have like no, one fourth writing credit you know um i i just so, well, i just kind of yeah. you know also curious about your contribution and and you know i i mean you seem like a guy who likes to write likes to compose likes to formulate these ideas into something tangible right i mean it, it seems sure. like you enjoy that part of the process as much as the playing part yeah yeah it's always been an outlet for me too it's always been something i'm interested in and so any any time there's an opportunity to contribute in that way like obviously yes i'm gonna do what i can to, to be a part of this you know mm-hmm. with him it's a daunting thing because you don't want to bring 
Chris Carabin an original song and be like, Hey, look what I wrote, you know? Um, yeah, 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 of so, course. Of course. Really? But at the same time, like Derek, my brother Derek and I, we wrote a song when we lived in Portland and we were just goofing around on a ukulele and an acoustic guitar. And we recorded it on like on the microphone on my MacBook. And I randomly found it years later and showed it to him, to Chris. And he was just like, can this be a twin four song? And I was like, yeah, I'll call Derek and ask. Like, <laughs> if he gets a co co-writing credit, then yes. I mean, I'm sure he won't care. Um, so yeah, that song is going to be on the, on the next record. And wow. that was just kind of a start. I was like, okay, maybe I've got a little more freedom than I thought or, you know, yeah. wanted to. Um, so yeah, I mean, with dashboards different, he, that just flows out of him. Like, he's just like, he wrote like for this last record, he wrote like 40 songs and like, we kind of just picked yeah. 10 that yeah. sounded like sounded the best or went cohesive enough to be on a record, you know, that usually um, happens on a lot of writing cycles, man. A lot of songs get written that never get heard. Yeah, truly. And he's got a wealth of those. And so like, it's always fun to like go back in the archives and try to find at least a riff. That's like cool. Or a line in a song that we can use or something like that. Yeah. Um, he's always been very cool about that. He's got a whole studio in his basement and that's where we record. And any other projects I do with friends or anything like that, it's always been open to a policy to go there and, and make music. So beautiful. I, I got really lucky meeting him when moving here. It was like a immediate foot in the door, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, so. and you guys are, I mean, it, it seems like also other than just, you know, a, a, a business relationship, you guys are friends. I mean, you know, like, yeah. Oh, he's a sweetheart. It's like, I always tell people, people want to know, you know, is he nice backstage or something, something like that, you know, cause he's an entity, you know, he's like, he's yeah. always on he's... screen, on screens or music videos or you know, interviews and stuff like that. But like a lot of times, as I'm sure, you know, like people put on that shit, like you get in a green room with this person, they become an asshole or they become a, mm-hmm. you know, say, say horrible shit or treat, people terribly or things like that seen but it. chris has always been yeah, yeah we've all seen it. it's like a age-old story you know um but he's been just always super down to earth and super nice to his fans and super cool to people walking into his world you know and Good. um i mean the dude is like seen some shit well yeah, sure. yeah. And, and, and he seems like someone who's still truly i mean you know from my perspective is it's someone who uh kind of much like third eye blind is someone who really appreciates playing the music and being in that role of being a performer because mm-hmm. it's the passion to be there just like you've expressed you've always felt like a performer and it's not someone who gets yeah. over infatuated with kind of the lifestyle of it and the only need to perpetuate yeah. that lifestyle is to keep playing music. It's almost the other way around. That's that's my impression of him anyway. Yeah. Funny enough, we, we did a tour with Third Eye Blind. It was like the band's first, Dashboard's first summer, big summer tour after reuniting. Um, and it was a co-headliner with Third Eye Blind. And I was like, wow. Did you get to meet yes, Ben? We're going on- did you meet Ben from Third Eye Blind? Ben. The- who, who, who is it? Is, isn't who that the playing? lead singer's name? Ben? Oh, Steve. You mean oh, no, yeah, no, Steve. 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 Shit. 
Yeah, Stephen Jenkins. Yeah, Jenk. God, my, I, I don't know why I thought Ben. Yes, did you get to meet him? Is he cool? Oh yeah, we we did a whole two month tour with the band, so we got to spend a lot of time with them, and um, they were all very cool. Stephen Jenkins is an interesting person, and I don't like. Part of me doesn't like going on tour with bands that I like because never you know, never want to meet your heroes. Well, that's part of it. Like, there's situations like that, but they're also like you see a band every single day. Ah. You become friends with them. It just feels weird to like be a fan after that. You know, it's like you can appreciate you can appreciate what they do, what they do, yeah, and yeah. what they've done. But like after hearing Simi Charm Life forty times, you know, in the span of two months, it's like okay, I'm I've heard that. Like I know what's up, and like and I know and I know the guy who wrote it, and like feels weird to be like this is my favorite record of all time anymore which it was and it still is it's like it's a seminal 90s record you know that, it's, that record. hell yeah man top to bottom like the the production on it is amazing uh, the songwriting was incredible of course um but steven jenkins is weird he was famous in the 90s mm-hmm. when there was like money to be made on cd sales and he was like dating Charlize Theron and, and you know. know, he was like in that scene, you know, he was like a dude. So he's, um, he's just, he's just an interesting dude. Like you can't yeah. relate and he's nice, but like you have a conversation with him and he's just like, he like, he will just like talk about what he wants to talk about regardless of what the conversation is like the yeah. context of the conversation. You know, it's like, it's a crazy hot day today. Like, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if it's going to be hot on stage tonight. He's like, yeah, I went to in and out and I got a double double and it was really good. And then I met this fan and we were talking and it was really cool. And, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go on a skateboard ride. See it. And it's just like, what? That, he like doesn't <laughs> answer your question, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But again, he was a super nice dude. Like, he wasn't like an asshole to anyone. Like, I won't go into details about things that go on backstage. Oh, of course, yeah. everyone is like, everyone has their moments, you know? Um, and uh, it's not my place to call anyone out on what they do, but you know, he's, he's yeah, they're very cool, they're yeah. very nice people. Um, they're just, I got to see weird. Th- they they came through last summer on their their last tour with Jimmy World, and I got to that, that was a pretty neat show. That was in the Moda Center here, but they yeah. did, but they did a third. S- you know, like third of it was off and it was just kind yeah. of in the round almost. And mm-hmm. it was awesome. Yeah. We saw that show as well. It was great. Oh, you were here? No, we were in Nashville. Oh, Nashville. Um, but they, same, they same one. Jimmy yeah, and Nashville. Yeah. Jimmy world. Band. Yeah, we were that's another band that I'm, I'm kind of infatuated with in my older years. Uh, James, just, that's another band that, hold, that holds up. Dude. They're like, studs. You know, only like one in every five band from that genre and that era hold up like you know you can listen to futures or any, pretty much any of the records front to back and it's like this is there's nothing lame about this at all there's nothing yeah. dated about this at all no and that's another situation where like um chris and jim from jimmy world yeah, are friends yeah. so like he come, he's been to our shows and like he's come to the studio and they've done stuff together and it's very surreal meeting jim Jimmy, you know, Jimmy from the guy who eats world. I couldn't even imagine actually like getting down and just like, Hey, I'm Jim, not I'm Jimmy. Like, yeah, yeah, truly. And I've always been like, like I said, I'm an introvert for sure. I can have conversations with people that I know 
But when I like walk up and introduce myself to an entity, someone like I grew up listening to or someone who like, even like someone who's just like a dude and like who I probably should know from my career, like you're yeah. thinking like a networking thing, you know, it's like, I'm always just like, I don't know what to say to this dude. Like, right. you know, it's like you try to have a normal conversation, but like, they just like, you know, they, they have conversations all day with people trying to get something out of them you know, or trying to like, or who are like nervous or blown away by their presence. Yeah. So you try to be like normal and not be like, Oh, you're incredible. Or I really love what you do. Um, there's a fine line. Well, sure. yeah, I guess I actually want, I mean, so you've, you've been in the presence, you've been around of truly not just a couple, but a lot of those entities. Right. Um, and, sure. and, it's probably hard. I mean, I'm dealing with this now. I, I can't say anything, but I have one of these scenarios that is pending that I know is coming, and I can't help but not want to shake, or can't help but shake the feeling that I'm still a kid from Alaska in a tiny town who, mm-hmm. who has, I mean, I can't help but feel like you know, you probably feel, oh, oh, this is all hard work for you. Like you've put in right. all of this as hard work. Like you said, every audition you've grinded for and you, you've prepared tooth and nail for. And, and it's, it's not something that like, I don't feel like it just came naturally to me. The, I had to work to be where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then to get presented with something like you meeting Jim or, or something. And, and what do you say, you know, how, how do you, how do you escape that feeling of being less than the person you're about to meet, right. but also recognizing that they probably feel like a normal guy too, just in a really weird scenario. So playing, 100%. broaching that and, you know. You, you, you're already immediately on an offset with a person like that because they don't know who you are and you've listened to them, t- heard about them, stared at pictures of them for <laughs> who knows how long. Yeah, you know everything about them. Like, if you're a real fan, you know what their family members are named, you know, yes. and when they were born. Or, like, I don't personally know that, but like, I can, you know, meeting these people. But I've done it for my favorite yeah. bands. Like, I know those sure. things about my favorite bands. Yeah. yeah. How how did you yeah, broach trip, man. How do you broach it? Dude, it's a daily struggle for me. Honestly, like, you know, the best way to look at it is if like, you know, like they're just like a completely normal dude too. Like you both are standing in line at, at catering, you know, backstage. Like you're mm. both just eating the same terrible roasted chicken, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so like you kind of just have to get on that that level, you know, you don't want to talk about music, you know, or talk about their career or anything like that. You just kinda have to be like you know like I, I experienced that a lot. Like we were uh we did a taste uh no the um Rockstar Mayhem Festival. Um and that was like a full tour and it was the headliners there was like eight or eight or nine bands on the whole tour and we were one of them and it was Slipknot headlining and Slayer and Motorhead were like the big bands. That were, and like, so every day I saw and talked to these dudes and I don't know how to relate to Lemmy. Yeah. You know, I, I like, was just going to ask how in the hell do you, oh, my video, oh, I'm back. Sorry. Uh, how in the hell do you do that? Like you, you were in the presence of Lemmy, like Lemmy is yeah, God. You just, and yeah. 
You just don't, man. Like I just like. Did you? What is that? Sorry, sorry. I wasn't. Did you? Did you have words? Yeah, not really. When it's that big of a deal, it's like you can't say anything but like, "Hey, thank you for what you have done." You know, like you're you're great. You know, I'm a bass player too, and I actually had a great experience with Lamy. I was able. I just like he was standing over by his guitar shit, and I was just like with his guitar tech talking to his tech, and they were just kind of lollygagging. And I was over there, and I was like, "Hey, man." y'all played great today or yesterday or whenever their last show was, you know, I was every day I went and I stood in a security barrier in front of Lemmy and just watched, you yeah. know, like, yeah, I got, I got the opportunity to see a legend. So I wasn't going to let that pass. I just watched him every day on that tour. Um, finally, I was like, Hey, I love what you do. Like, thank you for being an incredible dude. And like your show was great yesterday. And we kind of just like talked a little bit. And the biggest thing was, I was like, I love your bass. Like this Rick and he's got this amazing, like wood carved Rick and Bacher bass. Mm-hmm. And he, he let me play it. Like I was like, this is an incredible bass. Like that's beautiful. And he's like, hey, check it out. And his guitar said, picked it up and handed it to me. And I like, I put it on and I like kind of fucked around on it. And I was like, yeah, this is amazing. Like here, take it back. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm not going to sit here and play bass in front of him. You touched, you touched yeah. Lemmy's Rickenbacker. That yeah, dude, I got a, I got a photo of it. I was like, <sighs> my buddy was nearby. I was like, take a photo, please, hurry, take a photo of it, bro. So like, I, I got a photo of me holding that bass, and <sighs> it was gnarly, dude. Like the action on it was so high. Like he plays his action so high, oh. and like because he kind of riffs on it with a pick, and he's got gnarly distortion going and stuff like that. So like, by no means played well or was like a comfortable bass, but it was like beautiful bass and sounded amazing and it was legendary so i was like yeah. touching the holy grail you know yeah. um situations like that when it's like you come across someone that's on such a high level of fame or, or regard or talent or whatever all you can do is just be like look you're great like i appreciate yeah. what you do thank you for that another instance similar to that we were at Soundcheck, which is like a uh, facility where you can rehearse and do your full production mm-hmm. in this big room before you go on tour and we were getting ready for a tour and we walked into tour supply had like a store has a storefront there where they have gaff tape and batteries and all that stuff you can buy for tour and we walked in me and a buddy walked in and victor wooten was in there and he was looking at tuner pedals and he's like hey you guys play music and we're like yeah yeah like i play bass i play bass actually you know i'm a fan and he's like oh cool perfect he's like do you have any experience with this pedal? And it was a Boss TU2, like standard issue oh. tuner pedal. And I was like, yeah, it's a great pedal. <laughs> like it's a workhorse, you know, like everyone, literally everyone has one. Yeah. Um, and he's like, cool. He's like, I've never used a tuner, like, but the band is making me use a tuner on this, on this tour. And I was like, what he's like yeah i'm I'm rehearsing down down the hall with beta fleck and the fleck tone and like they're making they're making me get a tuner because like some maybe like some song had to be like super accurately tuned or something i don't know the, the context but like he didn't know anything about boss tu2 tuner pedal and so we were just like yep yeah, it's gonna be great he's like cool thank you so much i'm gonna i'll buy it and he's like, come on down the hall and, and watch. We're doing like a friends and family only performance, right? We're about to reach the tour. And so like, we just like awkwardly followed him to their rehearsal space and like sat there and watched Bela Fleck 
play this set and that's all we knew to do like we're not i'm not there to like try and like be like hey Vic, let's give me lessons or like take us on tour all you can be at that point is like just revere so and be like hey you're great thank you so i i have to ask because i've always been curious to this is Vic taller than he seems no, he's a he's a he's a tiny little dude. Is he? Is he? I, yeah. I I've never I never know. I've never been sure. You look at him and you can't yeah. tell. I mean, his like his presence is larger than life for <laughs> sure. Like he's a very impressive dude, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was uh, he was shorter than me. I'm six six one six two, and he's like you know five oh. nine or something. He wasn't oh. terribly. But but not, wasn't but he's not like but but he's not like five one or five two or something like like tiny guy. No, no, I'm oh. not terribly short. No, oh, okay. Yeah, he's, I struck me as pretty normal, but like at the same time, I was like kind of trying to register my brain with what I was what was happening, which was you're talking asked me about and and not it wasn't like it was a TC Electronics or some other brand. It was a Boss tuner. <laughs> yeah, it was not a it's not a boutique compression pedal or like a delay or anything it was like a tuner and victor wooden doesn't use a tuner which is all the more incredible and adds to the legend of victor wooden like of course he tunes by ear you know yeah everything's by ear well when you watch him do his, his harmonic amazing grace tapping med- medley thing and he's sitting there and plays and then boom and tunes down the notes so he can get it and then yeah. boom and tunes it back up as he's yeah. playing and you're just like well shit that's he's good as as billy madison would say okay he's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He, he knows his. He knows his instrument. That's for damn sure. That's Funny cool. enough, amazing grace. Amazing grace is what I learned from my Berkeley audition to get into the school. I learned his his version of amazing grace. Yeah. And like, of course, I didn't do like you know he he goes into this rhythmic. The bump 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 bump. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he starts shredding. And like you know, and I certainly didn't do that, but I did figure out all the harmonic part to like play the amazing grace part, and I kind of went into my own funk jam after that. But cool. That was like one of the harder songs I ever I learned earlier on. It's like, yeah, right, it's, I'm, I'm going to do this audition. I'm going to do it right, you know. That's that's a heavy piece, man. That's a heavy piece. Um, so what do you have come? You have anything coming up? I know that there's not a lot of playing and stuff happening right now, but music coming out. You have anything you want to kind of? Yeah, in, um, performing in. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool things happening. You know this this lockdown has been an opportunity to kind of like collaborate in different ways yeah um we uh i recently recorded some some songs for the new dashboard record um he hasn't like announced a new record or anything like that or what the context is um so i don't want to like i'm I'm not not my place to announce anything but i did record a few songs that required bass guitar for the new record and that was really cool and then we're doing the twin forks record we're starting to write and demo that out um, I've got well, I actually upgraded my my home recording rig recently. I got an Avalon DI. Oh, and, beautiful! And a, yeah, and a Universal Audio, an Apollo Duo Thunderbolt uh, interface. So this was like an opportunity for me to be like, look, like clearly playing live music is not the only way that I yeah. can make money yeah. doing music. Like it's just not feasible. Like even when I'm older and don't want to tour as much, there needs to be other ways to make music or make money playing music. Sure. Um, so upgrading the home recording rig was like a big part of that. Cause a lot of mobile recording is done these days anyways, you know, mm-hmm. like people, people pay you to put bass tracks on something instead of having to go all the way to their studio and do it, you know? Um, 
this is easy to do at home. So yeah, I'm working on upgrading that. I'm got a couple bands in the work. You know how like you you go on tours or you play shows with friends and you meet other fellow musicians and you're always like, We should start a band together. It'd be amazing to do like this super group and like, hey, I know this guy like from this band, he he would do it, and I know this guy from this band, he would do it. Yeah. Um so there's like a few of those in the works. Like cool. uh, we were all at a at a bar one night. Um, this was like last year a little little ways ago but we were all having drinks like around a table and we were like talking about how much we want to play stoner metal um, mm. just like do you know fun stoner metal riffs and like we realized that like in that circle was every single band member that we needed to like do this band because it was all like do the tour and yeah. played instruments and we were like well there it is let's do it and then, then we had, like a buddy of ours this guy, guy Anthony from a uh, Sayosin and Sort of Survived. Yeah, Sayosin's huge, yeah. Yeah, we were like, let's, you know, we just had done a tour with him and his band. We were like, let's just get Anthony to sing. We asked him if he would want to do a song. We are thinking about doing different singers on every song, but he was like, can I just be the singer of the band? And we said, yes, absolutely. Let's, yeah, let's do it, you know? So it's like members of that band Bayside and Saves the Day and uh, Group Love and myself and anthony and from seosin yeah called, yeah it's called dirt wizard um with two z's and that's it's going to be a stoner metal riff band and that's like something that we're finally like setting our attention to and you so look stoked be, for it oh dude it's like it's so much fun like i haven't played heavy music in a while you know just because of what i've been doing with dashboard yeah. in nashville um so it'll be fun to i started writing riffs pretty much immediately and like it flowed very easily you know and so Good. i think it's gonna be all right dirt wizard that's fucking amazing i'll be looking out for that man um <laughs> yeah all right well so sure. so and then uh what other so you know i kind of want to transition i know I've, I've taken up a bit of your time i don't know how you're doing but uh for time I as far as yeah. I mean, I mean, we've been going I'm not worried about we're, we're gonna be going like two hours already which is awesome i didn't think it was that, that flew long. by yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so hey, wh- you you talked about uh, uh, being a Star Wars fan. I'm a I'm a giant Star Wars fan as well, and a nerd in a lot of other ways. What are some of your other hobbies besides music? I'm I'm curious where a 34 year old Dane sits and what he does when it's not music. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would say my biggest. I'm a huge movie fan. So is my wife. So like, we kind of like stoke each other on that. You know, watching good watching movies and she was always into things like star Wars and we both love Harry Potter and we both love, um, you know, certain directors and certain franchises. So like it all just kind of fell together, you know, in our marriage, like we just kind of are happy about it together. So we're, we love watching movies. Um, I got really big into vinyl collecting vinyl. Same. Um, yeah, about 10 years ago, I think it's like, 10 or 12 years, about 12 years ago is when I, like, I started. Gotcha. And, um, you know, everyone kind of has, like, a handful of records. Like, even if you don't have a record player, everyone's got, like, a few records that they inherited from their parents or that mm-hmm. they found mm-hmm. at a record store and they love this band, so they just bought it. So I started that way, but then I got really into it when um, an old friend of mine, Caleb Shield, he's from Alaska as well. I love Veens, and he's been on the pod. He's actually supposed to be on in a couple weeks, so... He'll, awesome yeah he lives there in portland yeah yeah so we, we, we we hang out i've gone to a few of his shows as much as i as much as i could see when he plays he's been over to my house on the podcast and 
Yeah. Yeah. Caleb's great a good dude. guy. Great Love dude. Him. He, he went to a garage sale and he came back with a couple of records from bands he knew I liked. There was like a Coheed and Cambria record and Taking Back Sunday and a few others. He's like, I found these at a garage sale for five bucks. I know you like these bands. So like, here, add them to your collection. And I was like, hell yeah, dude. Thank you. And I looked, eventually I was like trying to track down another record from a band I liked. And it was like selling for $200 on eBay. And I was like, why is this going for so much? It's just a vinyl record. Like I, I was not aware that there was like an aftermarket for rare records. Yeah. And I ended up looking into these records that he bought me for $5. And that, that $5 Cody and Cambria record was like a $280 record on eBay. And they're both first presses, like the taking my Sunday, tell all your friends with the first press. And these were like selling for serious money. And I was like, what the fuck? So I looked at my collection and like I had numerous records that were out of print or out of, you know, out of press. Yeah. And so I straight up sold them on eBay. I was like, I can't like justify holding on to this $300 record. Like <sighs> when I could just sell it and buy more records, you know? Yeah. And so that's always, ever since then, it's always kind of been my thing. I search for rare records or like I buy a pressing that is coming out and it's limited, you know, I'll buy mm -hmm. two and I'll take that second one. I typically don't sell them, but I'll like try and trade them for other records that I want sure. on, on message boards and things like that. Um, so because of that, man, my, my collection grew exponentially and my passion for it. And I just got really stoked on it. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's yeah. hilarious that part of the thing of starting when we start, when I started this podcast, um, with Jason Smith, we were roommates for a long time and we actually moved to Portland together, uh, for music. He was a lead singer and I was a bassist in our band and we moved here as a band to try and get that shit awesome. going from, you know, so, so we started the podcast together. Um, and part of the impetus for doing it was we love music. We love vinyls and we both love radio. So that's part of the reason why I've never gone video on the podcast because mm -hmm. I love radio. I love the part where you just, you don't have a visual aspect to take away from what your ears, the actual work that your ears do. Most people get, lose that listening part because they want to look at everything. And, right. and that's totally. what, I, that's what I love about vinyls that, the warmth and so so something we did for a long time which i still haven't reincorporated now after we're doing distancing was we would we would take vinyls out of our thing or a guest would come over like last time caleb came over he brought three or four different vinyls and we played vinyls live on the podcast and i love and, it and you know i have i have my record player just right behind my camera like right there um sitting yeah. open you know i'm looking at a shelf of probably 300 plus vinyls at this point and um yeah and that yeah, was... it came from, yeah, it came for me at a time when like I needed a hobby and I yeah. was touring full time. Um, and we were living in Chattanooga and we were basically like not paying anything for utilities or rent or anything like that. And so like all this money I was making from touring, I put into like upgrading my, my turntable and my sound system and like buying Schiller records. Mm -hmm. And I got like kind of how I was talking about how like, you know, I don't really, focus and put a lot of detail into things unless I'm passionate about it. You know, like yeah. something I'm interested in. And vinyl became that for sure. Like I got like a nice record cleaner and I put every single record into I clean them and I put them into like high quality anti-static sleeves and everything is like yeah. clean yeah. and like cataloged and Same. um 
I'm super anal about it, and my wife hates it because she just wants to like put on a record. But I'm like, all right, you gotta lay it down. Don't touch the record. Keep your hands on the sides of the you know the disc, and then you gotta use this anti-static cleaning brush before you put the needle down because it's an expensive needle. You don't want to damage it with dirt and dust. And she's just like, oh my god, I just want to listen to her record. You psycho. I know it matters uh, though. It matters. Hey, and then uh, are you using out of your record player? Are you running through a tube preamp before you go into your stereo? Have you done that yet? Well, I bought I bought a um, an integrated one um, just because I know um, yeah I had like I had like a you know a sound system I wanted to do everything all in one like be able to watch movies with this sound system yeah. and like put everything like in my home entertainment center so I bought a uh, receiver that has like a built in tube preamp in it so like I I have not had to run an external yet but I've always wanted to like part of me is like I wonder if I can get a little more juice out of like an external preamp. You can. Pick it up you can. They make really yeah. nice little tube preamps that that are just your intermediate boost preamp, and the tubeness adds warmth to it. My my uh, brother in law is an audiophile and a huge vinyl guy, and he just got one. Yeah. Uh, and man, did it did it change the the yeah. warmth of it's that? It's not. They're only like they're not terribly expensive. No. I mean. The the hobby is a very expensive one. Like yes. you can pay five thousand dollars for a turntable. You can pay mm-hmm. two thousand dollars for a preamp. You know, you can pay fifteen hundred dollars for just a cleaner, like a record cleaner, like yeah. a vacuum powered cleaner. So like it's a gnarly hobby for sure. But you can also find budget stuff that like scratches that itch and like is perfectly fine for your standard. I would call myself like a low grade audio file, low to mid, you know, like yeah. I care about the sound and have a nice gear, but like I'm not paying thousands of dollars for not, not quite a Henry Rollins yeah. style. Yeah. Not quite. Yeah. I sold him a record actually, oddly enough. Like uh, you he sold bought a record Henry- from my, yeah, he bought a record from my discogs. And I was like, and I saw the name. I was like, Henry Rollins. And the, I was like, is that the Henry Rollins? He was out of California. So I searched the address and it was like, his like art installation studio he's got in like downtown LA is where I was going. I was like, holy shit. That's fucking like, Wow. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, it was a weird it was a weird little interaction. I just like was like, yo, I think I sent a message or like I wrote a message in the package with the record and I was like, keep up the good work or I don't know what I said. Yeah. Yeah, but I you, did acknowledge the fact that it was in real. If you ever get a chance, look at there's 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 a, some stuff online about his home stereo system and he has hundred thousand yeah. dollar speakers in his home stereo system. I mean, honestly, I have no doubt that if money wasn't an object, I would. (laughs) That's what I'd be looking at right behind you right now. (laughs) It would be just, (laughs) it would be gnarly for sure. Like I try to moderate it. I put most of my money into music related gear. Same. Um, But I do love collecting vinyl and, and in the same vein, I also collect uh, screen printed art. Like, uh, pop culture like number hand numbered art like that uh that people release like the company mondo records well, was called mondo tees there's like a company that ran out of alamo draft house in texas gotcha. and they were like selling t- t-shirts in the lobby of the theater and it grew and grew and now they do like limited edition screen prints of like movies for like showings they do and they get these big artists like uh tyler stout or aaron horsey or these dudes to like do these limited, like out of a hundred screen printed designs for this movie or something. And there was another huge hobby for that. Like those 
are really hard to obtain and you got to mm-hmm. like get them when they go on sale and be lightning fast buying them. And so, um, I collect those as well. It's just kind of like another nerdy aspect of pop man, culture that I'm fascinated by. Man. Well, it looks like we're going to have to do a whole second episode on movies and pop culture. Cause I'm and vinyls because I'm in the same and we, I think we could talk about it for hours, man. Yeah, I'm sure we could. I'd be happy to, man. That's like a whole other subject that I know we're not even like really barely breaching right now, but it's like basically other than like playing music, like, yeah, like gotcha. I'm into movies and, and pop culture and, you know, I'm not like obsessed with it, but like it's certainly like an outlet and we love it. You know, we love watching movies and we, we bought a house last year and I've got a TV that I was planning on putting up, but we walked into the house and the original owner had like an entire hundred inch projector theater set up in the living room. Oh, wow. And they left it with the house. We left it with the house. And so basically like my TV has been sitting in storage ever since we bought this house. Cause we've got this insane hundred inch projection going on. It's like a movie theater in our house. So that's amazing. We're just, yeah. We're living the dream right now for sure. Man, that's such a beautiful thing. Well, hey, I'm I'm realizing I'm running out of time on this, and my battery is down to like five fucking percent, which is the oh, worst man. limiting factor for doing one of these is battery life. For sure. Um, yeah, I feel it. But but anyway, uh, before I go, I read uh, obscure, nonsensical poetry at the end of every podcast, um, and so I'm gonna read Wonderful. you. A cu- I'm gonna read a couple little nonsense poems real fast. Um, Please do. All right. Blame forth, forth wented, Sithering, scunder blast, Thisk, thisk away. Harfers list, zoit, thunder snatched, Norbudding thuzz, implude display. Darplian applauded, Methus trampus, Parnak, wingnuts, Egerdine. Clush, qualsh, quib, Quimbombified, Carbolic, fall squashed, quenching scream That's, beautiful <laughs> yeah no idea what it means and that was by gary smith okay yeah such a such a normal boring name for such a eccentric person <laughs> i know and, and then and then here's one more i found this and uh i i've immediately fell in love with this podcast or with this poem branches float on trees like shaking an orange that's too hard to squeeze Whisper whims sharp off the tongue. This poem's over before it's begun. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and and that's unknown. I couldn't find an author for that, so I searched it and I couldn't find an author. But I, uh, that one was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, I recognized all those words. I'm like the uh, first one. <laughs> the first, I got about twenty five percent. The first one was one of these. I, I I like doing nonsensical, you know, unstandard poetry, and I found that, and it was a bunch of words I'd never even heard before or spoke. So I had to, uh, yeah. I had to pull that one. Anyways, Dan, well, thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, man, dude, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me to do this. This is like my first time doing like a proper podcast, and I've never like been like quick to want to do one you know just because sure. I, like i said i'm i'm not an extrovert certainly and i don't really yeah. like talking about myself but like i'm happy to do it when it's a friend you know and, of course and, well and and, and someone on the same level i i'm 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 an extroverted introvert i really enjoy being part of social stuff but i 
it's hard for me to want to reach out to start it. If someone invites me to something, I'm there, but I'm not the one who starts a big social event. Like, you know, I just want to kind of show up and be part of it. Um, but this is, this is, you don't have to worry about cleaning up. Yeah. Yeah. This is made, uh, (laughs) this is, this has made me a little better at reaching out because, um, you know, I, I get to, I, something about the control aspect of it, I think tickles me a little on the inside. Um, plus I am so fascinated with just the psychology of what it takes for someone to be a creator and, uh, get past everything that kind of naturally rises and tells us to not do it. <laughs> so yeah, 100%. Uh, it's, it's always interesting. It. You're a fascinating guy. I've been following you and your music career for a long time, man. And, uh, it's a pleasure that, uh, we know each other. That's, that's, you're, you're such a rad dude. You're humble. And, uh, you know, like you, like you said, uh, treat people like normal guys and don't want to talk about them too much. I, uh, you know, this is kind of one of those things where I wasn't sure how to approach it, even though we, we came from the same hometown. You're kind of like the you're a dude to me. You're a dude. And uh, it's awesome, man. Thank you for the time. That was very kind of you to say, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Anyway, uh, I will send us off here and, um, you know, let's do this again soon, man. I'll uh, message you and uh, I would love to talk more. Yeah, likewise, man. I love it. All right, Dane. Have a great one, man. You too, bud.